There you go. See that? starting to record. Just like that, we're live. We're live. We're live. Wow. Third episode. It's awesome, dude. I'm proud of you, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. It's exciting. <laughs> I think after listening to your story today, a lot of people are going to be proud of you. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully it inspires somebody. That's why, That's you why you're here. It, right? So why don't you introduce yourself and let's talk about the beast behind me. And yeah. And let's dive right into your story. Uh, so my name is Carter Kramer. I live in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I met Paul uh, doing some of the crown rallies. Uh, instantly, you know, appreciated Paul just for the all the cool stuff I saw you do, man. The smiles on kids' faces, kids hopping in your car. You know, there's people like, oh, don't touch the car. You know, and yeah. I, I'm not like that either, right? It's like I want to, no. I want to share it. So anyway, the car here is uh, it's my 2018 Audi R8 V10 Plus, uh, and then we added a supercharger to it and yeah, tune exhaust. It's loud. It's loud, yeah. And fast. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Yep, that was one of uh, Larry the Extraordinary's builds. Yeah. So it's kind of special to me. I have i don't know that I can ever get rid of it. Yeah, now it's got added value. Yeah, the cars, I will break 10,000 miles on on the way home. Nice. From here, so it doesn't get driven a whole lot, but... And see, when people when you tell people how many miles you have in your car, they're always surprised. Like, I, I put it on Facebook, how many miles do you think are on my car? People are like 60,000. It's like... No, I just crossed over like 28,000 because it's, it's been everywhere, but yeah. it gets trailered there. Yes. And then I'll drive it. Yeah, it's, yeah, we're, we're the same way. Um, let's talk about you. Okay. We're going to talk about your upbringing, <laughs> okay. where you came from, childhood stuff. Yeah. And then your entrepreneurship. Um, so there's no time limit. Take your time, details. Uh, if you want to keep stuff private, do it, but let's dig in. Okay. Um, well, I guess I'm kind of a typical Iowa kid, man. I grew up in a small little town, 3000 people. I in Monticello, Iowa is where I was, went to high school. Mm -hmm. Um, so 74 people, in my graduating class, you know, I went to school with the same kids all the way from kindergarten to, to the time I graduated high school. What year uh, did you graduate? 2000. How old are you now? 41. Kid. <laughs> Just kid. It's funny. Cause I remember when I turned 40, I remember thinking like, 40, gosh, I remember my parents turning 40 and they were old. Yeah. <laughs> now that's me. When I was <laughs> 30, I, I thought 40 year olds. I'm like, God, you guys are fucking old. Get out of here. <laughs> I know. Get out of here. And then I was like 50 year olds. You guys are fucking old. Now I'm 50. It's like, fuck. Mm -hmm. I'm still young. Dude. And there's so many things that I don't know. It's kind of funny too, that those things that, you know, my dad said to me as a kid and you sit there and you're like, ah, oh, you know, my dad doesn't know anything. And yeah, I realize now that he, he did know he did. <laughs> quite a bit more than what I gave him credit for it. Mm -hmm. And you know, this is, so, this is my son, Payson, Payson's 13, uh, also my co-pilot uh, in all the rallies. So I appreciate you letting him ride yeah, up with me I, and he co-piloted for the way. Yeah, he does up. a good job. He He's never got job. you lost. <laughs> maybe once, maybe once, but, uh, but yeah. So anyway, that was kind of my upbringing, man. I would say as a kid, you know, younger kid, I was kind of the all American kid, man. I played every sport, you know, when I was young and good student school. And then, you know, like a lot of small town kids, man, I started partying a lot, uh, probably around, you know, seventh, eighth grade, we kind of started going off my, I have two older sisters, one's five years older than me and one's seven years older than mm -hmm. me. So I think by the time that I was there, my parents were kind of like, yeah, it'll be fine, you know? And I kind of just ran around, did my thing, lots of older friends and, um, you know, started making some pretty bad decisions when I started getting into high school and graduated high school, um, and started at the university of Iowa as a biology major. Um, 
thinking I would go on to grad school. Right. And I walked into the first chemistry class that I had at the University of Iowa with like 400 fucking Asian kids. Yeah. And I was like, I'm screwed. <laughs> Did any of your bad habits follow you to college? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It, beca- it becomes, it becomes amplified. Absolutely. Right. Because there's no restrictions. Right. No one's keeping an eye on yeah. you. No one's, yeah. It's, 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 it's really great. Right. It's kind of a cool transition in life, but um you know right away i realized i wasn't going to be working hard enough to sustain through eight years of school right so then i'm sitting there going okay i graduate from college at the university of iowa with a biology major what am i going to do I can be a high school science teacher or work for the department of natural resources like you know not that there's anything wrong with that but, but that's I'm sitting it here, but i'm sitting here going like i'm going to spend 50 grand to make thirty thousand bucks a year which i was making thirty thousand bucks a year in the summers between high school doing construction work and school was 50 grand back then. Think of that. I know. Think mm-hmm. of college for this kid right here. Oh, it's insane, man. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, doing, doing more drugs and doing, you know, getting myself into a pretty bad mindset. My sister, my oldest sister had just graduated from graduate school at Ohio state as an optometrist. And she took a job in Phoenix and I kind of reached out after I took about a year off, um, kind of reached out to my sister was like, dude, I, I got to do something, you know, change of scenery. And she's like, well, I'm moving to Phoenix. She had just gotten divorced. She didn't want to live in the city by herself as a female. She's kinda, How old was she then? Uh, I think she was 28. Mm-hmm. How old were you? 20, 22, 21 or 22 mm-hmm. at that time. Um, so my sister's like, well, hey, you can come and live with me. It'd be nice for me to have somebody else there. You don't have to pay any rent or anything. You just got to cover your expenses. But the only way you can do that is if you go through like an inpatient treatment program first. Yeah. So, and I was kind of like, sure. Um, so at this time, was it alcohol or drugs or uh, Lots of cocaine. Yeah. yeah. I was doing lots of cocaine and alcohol. You know, alcohol to me is like still, you know, seems to... I have no inhibitions, man. If I drink alcohol, mm-hmm. so like it's a, a lot of people are like that. Yeah. So you yeah. start drinking. It's like, yeah, I'll just do it tomorrow. Yeah. I'll do it the next day. Totally. How and I am. Just, the excuses just fucking roll. It's totally how I am, man. And, uh, so yeah, so I agreed to do that. And actually it was kind of funny, man, because, um, you know, my parents put the money together. It wasn't very much money to put me through some sort of program where there was like a holistic healing place in Casa Grande, Arizona, it's not around anymore, but, uh, I ended up checking into this place too. It was a life changing experience. You know, one mm-hmm. of the best things I've ever done. Um, I spent some time out in the desert with some native American dudes in recovery and, you know, spent a lot of time just kind of trying to figure out my spirituality and figure out what, you know, what was really important to me in life. And, um, so left there totally different mindset than when I walked in, um, no idea what I was going to do. Um, so my first job that I took was hanging artwork for a guy that was tied into a really high-end art gallery in Scottsdale. So this guy hires like, yeah, pretty good with your hands. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I can do whatever. Um, and so this guy hired me and the first house I walked into, man, I'll never forget this. Keep in mind, I'm coming from this tiny town in Iowa, right? right. There's nothing. First house I go into is like this eight and a half million dollar house uh, in Cave Creek. On You've never Desert seen anything Mountain. like it before. Dude, I walk in, I'm like, this house is worth more than like, my whole town yeah michael jordan <laughs> michael jordan must own this or someone like you know? it's insane yeah. right yeah and you know that happened to me several times and all of a sudden i realized like there's a lot of money in this fucking world holy shit dude there's opportunities out there that i never ever knew yeah existed and and not only that but like one of these guys comes out and starts talking he's like in his 40s man 
And I'm like, dude, you know, none of my business, but what do you do? And he's telling me about, yeah, this is what I did. I patented this software thing. This is my winter home, you know, I'm like winter home. <laughs> what the fuck, yeah. man? Really? So it was eye opening. Yeah. Really eye opening. Cause no matter what it is, there's someone that's doing it. There's someone benefiting from it. There's someone getting paid from it, no matter what it is, whether it's a fucking hand railing or a calculator or whatever, someone's making money off of it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, as well as I do, you know, as you meet people who are, you know, I would say financially affluent individuals, there's assholes out there, but a lot of those people are just normal people. Mm -hmm. You know, they've, they've worked their butts off and they've been blessed in many ways. And it's so cool to sit and talk to them and, and realize like, just because they have money, they're not, they don't, they're not necessarily assholes. Right. Some yeah. of them are very, and, and I'm not stereotyping, but it seems like the people that earned it are much more realistic because they were once broke as fuck. You had to only put, you could only put in $10 of fuel in your car or 20 or even five back when I was young. Cause you just didn't have the money. Right. You had to make decisions. And when you earn wealth, I think people have a lot more respect for it, including you, you know, the, the person oh, yeah. that earned it versus someone who, and it's not the wrong inheriting money. It's, it's not going to happen in my life, but it's, if you inherit it, it's just, you know, come on. Did you earn there's it? There's a difference between yeah, there's, trust fund there's babies a and, and yeah. people that have gone out and started with nothing and yeah. no question. And know. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not saying at all, but right. I, I'm saying that I get along better. It seems like when, with people who have earned um, their wealth because it, it's like we could talk about the horror stories and the growth and the pain. And that's what this whole fucking show is about. Yeah, dude, if you haven't been through it, I always tell people, man, I've used this analogy for a long time and I think it's interesting, but I always tell people it's like a duck swimming on the water, right? Yeah. People from the outside looking in, they it's see calm. this smooth, graceful thing. It's like, oh man, must be nice, right? And underneath, dude, it's fucking chaos. Yeah. All the time. The feet are fucking going crazy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And people don't see that part, right? People don't see, no. you know, when I called my wife in tears and I'm like, honey, we're fucked. Mm -hmm. You know, those people aren't on that phone call. Because no one wants to see it. Right. No one wants to be around it. No one wants to be part of the grind. They don't want yep. it. Now, fuck you. You deal with it. You figure it out. It's, it's once you start, you know, having some stacks and some things and start a, acquiring things that people are like, oh, hey, he's actually doing it. I'm team him. I'm, I'm on that <laughs> team. I'm on her side. Now. Yeah. And, and it's not fair. I mean, yeah. even my wife has friends. She has a one in particular who has kind of earned her way on Instagram. Not, it's not a typical Instagram model and stuff like that. She just gives advice and stuff like that. Yeah. But I, I remember when she had like 5,000 followers and now she's 60 some thousand followers and all she does is build. She doesn't do anything to tear down anyone, but yet people try to tear her down. Oh yeah. And, and, and that, and it's another thing. It's just, you can't pay attention to that shit. You just gotta no. keep moving forward and realize God gave me this life. I'm fucking moving forward. And, and yeah. it, it's, it's just sad when people aren't there for the grind but they're there for the shine and yeah nobody wants to back something that they think there's risk yeah involved. you got to protect yourself <laughs> and the people that were there for you for you and at your lowest and stuff like that forever you you yeah. never you're always going to be there for them you're always going to reward them because loyalty cannot be bought it can be rewarded though and, yeah. and that's how i look at it you can't buy loyalty you yeah. can reward it though yeah i think true loyalty comes from mutual trust yeah Right. It's just proven to somebody that, hey, 
it, we're in this deal together, dude. It's teamwork, right? If yeah. you win together, you lose together. You know, I mean, that's the, it's, I don't know. I'm so glad that I've gotten to experience that part of the build process, right? right? Of seeing the difference. You know, I've, we've, we've all had both, right? We've had those people that have come into our lives that have been just huge blessings in so many ways. And you try to help those people take steps forward and they help us and, you know, all those wonderful things. And then you get those people that are like takers, you know, how do, how do I take advantage of the situation? You know, yeah. how do I take, 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 and like, it's conditional. Oh, it's, it's, it's conditional. It's, it's on exhausting. their terms. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. exhausting, man. Can I benefit from hanging out with you? No. Okay. I'll go over here then. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. So yeah. So going back to the, the work situation. So Arizona, you know, hanging artwork and then a buddy, a guy that I'd become friends with, um, approached me and said, Hey man, you should go get your real estate license. Um, you know, and this is like 2002, 2003. So the market out there is crazy. You know, I could be a complete idiot and throw a dart and make some money right. out there at that point. Um, and luckily, you know, they had made the real estate exam in Arizona really, really difficult because so many people were trying to get their real estate license and it was all math. You know, it was just a, it was basically a giant math test. Um, and luckily I was good in math. So I passed the test the first time I took it, um, got my license and, you know, started selling. And this is kind of a funny thing too. People go like, oh, how'd you get started in the crazy market? Dude, two things I did that were really funny that nobody did. This is back when newspapers were like still a thing, right? Mm -hmm. I put a little tiny ad in the Phoenix newspaper. I don't even remember what it's called now. Um, but basically it was in the classifieds and it said three bedroom, two bath, good schools. And I had my phone number on it. Right. Fuck. What else could you ask for? Right? <laughs> well, you know, my, I, I knew that I had to target like first time home buyer type of people. Um, because I didn't know anything, you know, I yeah. had no experience. There's people out there buying real estate that knew more about it than, than I did. Right. <laughs> so I wanted to kind of target people that were, you know, I could, I still felt like I could help them. Um, started working my way through that startup business, dude, brand new, uh, started out with just, I was the first employee, you know, we built it up to a few people. This guy comes to me one day and says, Hey man, you think you've kind of outgrown this? I've got another position for you, another brokerage. They want to grow. Um, so I took that job, this place called prime realty group. Um, and I worked there as both an agent, but then I started doing recruiting. So I was out bringing in agents, you know, building the, so that we, we built that place up from about 40 agents up to, I think it was about 65 or 70 when I left. Um, and then I went to work for a place called Hacienda Builders, which was a developer. The two guys that own it actually went to Iowa State uh, Architecture School. So um, huge developer in that market at that time. And that was really interesting, right? Because I'm watching these guys doing 2,500 house development. I mean, monster deals, dude. Yeah. Monster deals. <laughs> no. Like, Holy shit. Now, uncomfortable question now. Yeah. How was your sobriety then? How was the, the Yeah, the sober, drugs? dude. Sober. No yeah. problems. No. Because when you're getting around construction workers, there's two types. Oh, absolutely. No, and I think the crazy thing was, man, was just, you know, this is where things started to, I think, change in my life was kind of having that epiphany that, you know, I think we go through everything we go through in our lives because we hopefully will have an opportunity to relate to somebody that's going through the same thing we've been through. Mm -hmm. um, and so I spent a lot of time helping younger guys, right, that were trying to get their life together. And um, dude, that was talk about a good motivator to keep you sober and keep you clean. Right. Yeah. It's like, just, uh, like I, these guys are, they're counting on me. You just stand there and <laughs> Hey, learn from my mistakes. Just like what the podcast is. That's what it's about. Right. Yeah. Learn from my mistakes, make it easier on you. Yeah. And I also got to a point where, you know, it's difficult, man, at that age, you know, I was still in my early twenties. Right. And I'm living in this 
crazy place, you know, tons of beautiful women and I'm single yeah. and I'm trying to like be a 20 something year old guy. And dude, I'm going to clubs and doing all the things, no drinking, no drugs. And dude, I was having a blast. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, I'm like, I'm out dancing at Axis Radius and, you know, <laughs> so I was just as I had, I had more fun. And then I remembered what I did the next day. Did you, did you ever have a problem trying to, I have a friend who's sober and every time, and, and he's just sober by choice. He had no fucking, he's just like, oh, do it. Yeah. Yeah. And he, uh, he feels like he has to explain himself every fucking time. Like, yeah. Why are you sober? Why are you sober? Yeah. I don't know because I just fucking want to. It makes sense. Yeah. And I'm not saying this isn't a show about you have to be sober. Yeah. It's, no, no. It's a show about don't let the fucking tail wag the dog. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if, if and dude, I've not, been, I've not been continuously sober since then. Right. I mean, I've had times in my life where I'm like, ah, oh, dude, I should be able to go out and drink and party and do. Yeah. And I have, you know, and then I get and then I afterwards, I'm kind of like, I don't need that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's and so I've not been, you know. There's a there's an expectation of perfection I think that kind of comes along with sobriety in some ways that to me I, to me is not real right um, but I do think that it's amazing how I've watched people remove the drugs and alcohol from their lifestyle and and they're they're different people bro mm -hmm. you know you see somebody go from somebody that you wouldn't let into your house to somebody that would give somebody the shirt off their back. Like all of a sudden, you know, there's this, there's this change that happens and people, I think kind of create that mindset and keep that mindset long enough. Um, so yeah, that's, that's that. So yeah, stayed, you know, dude on the up and ups. Then I got married to my first wife. Yep. Um, that was a disaster, bro. She's a figure skater. She had a real, I mean, she had a nice ass, but <laughs> She was crazy, man. And, and, you know, she, you know, prescription pill addict, like, you know, had lots of her own issues. And just Did you of, know that, though? Getting uh, into it, it got worse, man. So when we first got together, um, her father had lung cancer. And shortly after we got married, he actually passed away. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a really, it was a tough situation, man. It was like, you know, been through tons of treatment. I mean, a year and a half for the treatment, right? Dudes and like, you guys, you know, I think we've all seen it, right? It's brutal stuff. And... He goes through, gets a scan. Hey, he's going to be fine. He's no more cancer. Everything's, you know, they throw this big party. Like two weeks later, he died, bro. Shit. It was out of the blue. And like, she went straight off the deep end. You know, she was really close with her dad. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden now I'm on the flip side of this because I had kind of let go of some of my sobriety because I wanted to hang out and party with her and yeah. go places and go to Vegas and do all the things that we like to do. And... Now I'm on the other side of this deal where she's struggling. I'm trying to get her to realize like, Hey, get centered, come I, up for air. Yeah. yeah. I, under, I understand that you've been through some shit, but like now it's time to, you know, dust yourself off and, and get going and it's no desire to do that. Right. So that went on for quite a while. And then, uh, I was, so I was married to my first wife for four years and it was at the time, you know, the market's taking a dump. I'm getting divorced. No idea what I'm going to do. Like, Packed up a suitcase, man, and went back to Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> so, home. Yeah, back home, man. And I hadn't seen my parents. You know, my sister had had a couple of kids I hadn't even met um, back home in Iowa. So You my, didn't go home was, for holidays and shit? Not really. No? Why would you, dude? It's like 75 degrees there on Christmas, you know? Yeah. yeah. They're like playing golf. I gotcha. I <laughs> it gotcha. was nice. Nice change. But 
when I came back, I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, I had gotten a gaming license when I lived in Arizona just out of a fluke because I thought someday, you know, may, oh, maybe I want to like buy a racehorse or something. Yeah. So <laughs> I had gone through the process <laughs> and gotten a gaming license. And when I moved back, they were just opening a new casino uh, in Riverside, Iowa, just, just north of Iowa or south of Iowa City. Um, so I went in there, dude, and I started dealing poker. And, oh, shit. Yeah. Cool. So started putting my resume out and, uh, randomly some guy calls me and he's like hey man I, I know you don't have any experience in like the telecommunications industry but it looks like you've got some startup business experience which honestly man i had never thought about this is the start of your success this is when things change how old yeah. were you 27 okay keep going um so at 27 i go to this interview with this guy and the guy sat there and talked the whole time mm-hmm. didn't really ask me anything just told me this whole story right and I lived about an hour away from where this place was. And I remember leaving that place, man, and I'm driving home and all I saw was like cell tower after cell tower after cell tower. I'm like, holy shit, dude, this is insane. There's like this whole giant infrastructure out there that I never really paid attention to, right? Right. Um, so yeah, I took the job, man. I started working with this guy out of the basement of his house. Um, no, you know, no real plan of what was going on. Um, but we were kind of focusing on, like I had mentioned this to you before a little bit, when we were talking about it, the, the concrete shelters that house all the transmission gear under cell sites. Right. Um, so you got basically this climate controlled weatherproof box, you know, that houses all this expensive gear and explain how these were coming available. Uh, so it was mostly through like mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. So, you know, Verizon buys Altel or, you know, Sprint buys Nextel. T-Mobile AT&T buys, Voice buys Singular. Yep, yeah, gotcha. it just goes on and on, right? Yep. Well, most of the towers is all lease space. You know, it's just vertical real estate. So there's a tower owner that owns the tower, mm-hmm. and then everybody's a tenant. Well, when there's acquisitions that happen, a lot of these these two carriers would have leases on the same tower. So of course they're like, okay, we're going to terminate all these leases. Got to get all this equipment off sites. Well, nobody wants that shit. Nobody knows what to do with it. So we started focusing on that stuff. I'm sitting there going, okay, one of these things costs 80 grand new. Yeah. Somebody's literally trying to give it away just to get somebody to move it. Like, dude, somebody's going to buy that, right? <laughs> it's got to be, it's got to be somebody out there that'll buy, you know, it's like cars, right? Yeah. If, if anything is expensive enough, there's a secondary market for that stuff. There is. Yep. So that was kind of the thought was like, okay, these expensive generators, you know, these shelters, this, this high end equipment is coming out. Nobody really knows what to do. And Indeed. some of them are in great shape. Some of them are beat up, need a little refurbishing. Totally. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You take the you take the bad with the good kind of thing, just yeah. to just to kind of get committed. And I think they're people. a lot bigger than what people think because when you see them alongside the road and stuff like that, it's just a little shack. But they they you need a big trailer for them, don't you? Oh yeah, dude. It's all it's all double drop or you know step deck trailer stuff. Yeah. I mean, they're ten foot or twelve foot wide by you know twenty to thirty feet long. Yeah. You know, you're talking fifty, sixty thousand pounds. It's overweight overdimensional loads um so yeah that's uh i i started to learn a lot about logistics yeah <laughs> in moving shipping all of it yeah, craning all of it. yeah lots of cranes um so yeah so i worked for that guy man for three years um that business went from zero to about 13 and a half million a year in revenue mm-hmm. um you know good little startup for three-year process i think we had about 15 employees uh, but through like the last year, man, I started to realize, you know, that the dude I was working for was a criminal. 
Uh, so he's running two sets of books. He's taking money out of company benefits. He's, you don't need that. And shit. dude, I'm running the business. So I'm sitting here going like, if this guy gets smoked, like he's going to throw me under the bus. Right. He's going to be like, well, I don't know. This is the guy running the bit, you know, like, the f- so it was scary, man. I went home one day and, uh, you know, sat down with my wife, Amber and my wife now, Amber, who mm-hmm. is Amber and I've known each other since I was, since before I left for Arizona, long history. Right. Gotcha. Great woman. Great woman, dude. I'm super blessed. Yeah. And has supported me through all these crazy things. I mean, the opposite of my previous yeah, you know, marriage experience, right? Somebody that was constantly just like trying to help me be better. Um, and so I went home to Amber and I was like, listen, I can't work with this guy anymore. And she's like, what do you mean? And I, you know, I started talking to her and I'm like, this is not a, I love the work. I love what I'm doing. Um, but this is a moral and ethical problem. Yeah. You don't want to be around that shady shit. You can't, man. Your no. reputation's all you got, right, yep. Paul? I mean, that's what we got. This is all what, you got. It's what we've, it's what we've built our lives, at least for me, I've, I feel like you're the same, yep. right? It's like people realize, Hey, this guy's a good guy. He's trying to do something positive. When you get attached to those types of people, dude, it's, it's not good. Um, and I started to have clients call me and say, Hey, look, dude, we love you, man. But like, if you're going to be attached to this guy, we can't do business with you anymore. It's scary. So, you know, she looks at me and she's like, well, you know, you can go do it. And I was kind of like, yeah, you know, I think I can. So right about that time, uh, one of my clients uh, was a company called Day Wireless Systems. They're in uh, Milwaukee, Oregon, just outside of Portland. And they have a large uh, commercial real estate portfolio. It's a father-son-owned company, the largest motor oil service provider in the country. Great guys, great people. Said, hey, dude, uh, we saw you leaving your job. You want to come out and manage our commercial real estate portfolio? Dude, solid, you know three, you know, six figure job offer, relocation expenses included. You know, we got this guy's like a year old at the time. And I'd tell my wife, like, I got to take this job. Right. It's guaranteed money, no risk. Um, I love Portland. I did then, you know, it's a little different now. <laughs> really glad it's different it's now. Yeah, it's a lot different now. Yeah. I'm really glad I didn't end up in Portland. Yeah. Um, but Paul, my wife looked at me and she said, well, Carter, let me ask you a question. She said, if you don't do this business thing, do you think that you're going to look back someday and regret it? Damn. And I was like, fuck yeah, I will. Yeah. She said, well, then you have to do it. So off that's I went. That's the start. So then I showed you up. You got to have a starting point, and that's the starting point right there. Yeah, that was it, dude. That was like the jumping off. And indeed, my wife had a good job. I was like, honey, I'm, you know, I was making like 130 grand a year. She's like, don't worry about it. You know, we're living super conservatively. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first got back with my wife, dude, we lived, you know, we were making good money between the two of us. We lived in a one bedroom apartment, you know, just so I could catch up on all my old bills for my divorce. And I had mm-hmm. let a car get repoed that I had some debt. You know what I mean? Just, I mean, dude, I let everything go. I had nothing when I got back with her and she's like, we'll figure it out. And we did, you know, but do you live in, you know, I was driving a $500 1993 Honda Prelude with the body rusted off of it, you know. <laughs> Preludes were sharp cars, though. Dude, that thing was fun to drive, Yeah, man, they were sharp know? cars. Five-speed manual. Oh, yeah. Little go-karts. Mm-hmm. Did you I have a little wing car. on the back? I didn't, dude. Mine was pretty, some pretty rough shape. Dude, the inside of it looked brand new, yeah. but the body was barely hanging on. Yeah. I had like 230000 I literally bought it for 500 bucks. 
230,000 miles. Yeah, it. still running like a champ. I actually got two, two speeding tickets in that car within like three miles of each other at one point. <laughs> Your ass will be driving that when you're 16. He'll have to find you a prelude. Yeah, they were they, actually sharp cars. They were fun, man. Yeah. I love that car. Um, so, yeah. So, so, after that, I went to my brother-in-law's house. So, this would have been the guy that was married at the time to my wife's sister. Gotcha. I'm following. It's weird. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. It's like a I'm weird with intertwined thing. Yep. And he owned, uh, he was a shareholder in another company around our area that was very successful. Um, and I went over to his house basically to say like, Hey dude, I'm going to start this business. And if I fuck this deal up, I need a job. Mm -hmm. And so I show up at his house out of the blue, we go stand on his back porch. I tell him the story. Um, and I'm like, you know, dude, I got a, I got a kid. Like if this doesn't work, man, I need you to give me a job. Right. And he's like, bro, I'll hundred percent give you a job, but I want you to tell me more about this business. So, so he was a private investor. Correct. Yeah. I gotcha. So yeah, dude, literally right there. He's like, so what do you think you need to kind of get this thing up and going? And I was like, I don't know, man, like 15 grand. And he fucking pulled his checkbook out and handed me a personal check for 15,000 bucks. And he's like, how about I buy 10% of the shares for 15 grand seat private. <laughs> See, that's even someone that, pri that invests privately. I'm the same fuck away. It's like, dude, it's, it's a crapshoot. Yeah. Yeah. I'll buy into that. Yeah. You make it successful. Fuck yeah. Let's do it. But when you trade in, when you trade publicly, you're a little bit more conservative. You're not as reckless, but yeah, when you, when you get into it and get sweaty, I mean, yeah, you'll take risks like that. Why Absolutely. Not? Well, yeah. especially when you, you know, you're betting Chris on the and person, you're betting other. on the person hundred percent. And Chris, he, he bet on you. Yeah. Chris and I had gotten to know each other and it was just interesting how we just in conversation about business, man, you know, you just could feel the juice is flowing, yeah. you know, like we were both in, in similar, very similar from like the ethics, the morals, you know what I mean? It's all about taking care of clients, taking care mm -hmm. of employees, doing the right thing. You know what I mean? Telling on yourself if you fuck up. I yep. mean, those are just basic fundamentals of being a good person. Right. right. Um, and so from there I got, uh, another private investor, a buddy of mine I went to high school with, who's uh, he's an M&A attorney now, super successful guy, very intelligent guy. Um, so he helped us kind of get a lot of our ducks in a row to get the business up and rolling. Um, so yeah, 30 grand dude is what I started with. Um, and right about that same time, my old employer fabricated a non-compete agreement and sued me for violation of a non-compete agreement. Yeah. Who cares? Let the lawyer deal with that. Well, here's the funny thing. So he puts in there a hundred miles from Cedar Rapids. And so I go to an attorney and I'm like, what do I do? Dude, this isn't even real. Mm -hmm. Like you could see where this guy like cut my signature off of another document yeah. and like copied it onto this. Piece. I mean, it was awful, right? Well, just tell him to produce the wet signature. Well, here's what's funny, dude. This is, I lost some faith in the judicial system through that process. Right. Cause mm -hmm. like, well, you know, I mean, he's making the claim, you know, you got to prove it's like, I didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like how do I, what, why do I have to prove shit? You know? Yeah. Well, my lawyer says, Hey, look, dude, what's your financial? I'm like, dude, I got no money. Right. I got nothing, dude. I'm trying to start this business. I got no cash. You know, he's like, well, then what we're going to do is just try to make this thing last. The best thing you can do is just adhere to the non-compete. Go, go get an office a hundred miles out of Cedar Rapids and start your business there. If you're not in violation on compete, dude, the guy can't do anything. A judge isn't going to file an injunction to stop you from doing business, which is the only thing that could really put us out of business. Right. Mm -hmm. So dude, I spent, I went and got this tiny little office, like the size of a closet in an executive office building, uh, in West Des Moines and opened up the business and right out of the gates, man, I get this deal done, you know, previous client, 
uh, knew where some inventory was located in the country. His clients in South Carolina, there's some, some inventory that he needs that I know this guy's got in Florida. So I got this whole deal put together and I'm like, dude, I'm going to make some scratch on this deal. And it wasn't a big deal, but it was like, you know, 90 grand or whatever. Yep. Um, and you know, I get everything paper signed. Everybody's on board. I called the dude to get the inventory picked up and he's like, whoa, 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 man, you can't take any of this shit off my lot until it's paid for hundred percent. Shit. And I'm like, I'm fucked. Give me 90 days. <laughs> you won't give me 90 days. He's and that guy's probably been burned enough times where he's like, fuck you. I don't need to move. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I went to every bank. What kind of what kind of dollar amount are you looking at trying to get? 50 there? grand. I needed to buy all the equipment. 50 grand was holding you up. Yep. So I called and went into dude. I walked into, I bet, 20 banks, dude, and mm -hmm. just got laughed out of there every time. Tell me what you're doing. Well, here's what I'm doing. Like, yeah, we just don't see it. Yeah, nah, it's a little risky for us. You know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah. so, dude, it was the worst, like, last resort. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I called my dad. And now keep in mind, you know, my history before that. Yep, I'm following It's pretty foggy, right? So I called my dad, and I was like, Dad, here's what's going on. I need to borrow 50 grand. And he hung up on me. And like 15 minutes later, man, my dad called me back and he's like, here's the deal, Carter. I'm going to give you the 50 grand, but you got to pay me back in 60 days. And he said, the reason I'm doing this is because when I started my business, I borrowed $10,000 from my dad and I wouldn't have been able to do it if he wouldn't have loaned me that money. Right. And after I hung up the phone, I realized money's a little different now than it was then. Yeah, 10 grand, then it's 50 grand. Yeah, I got you. Yep. So my dad wired me the 50 grand. Right then, I got the deal done, and I paid him back in like three weeks. Damn. And off we went. Damn. So first year in business, we did $648,000 in revenue. And year two, we did $3.3 million. That's kind of a jump. It was it was aggressive, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a rip. Was your, did you have a CPA? So at first, yeah, I had a small little CPA firm um, in West Des Moines. And after the second year that I filed tax returns. They walked into my office April 14th with all my docs and said, it's the best we could do, bro, but we can't touch your shit anymore. Yeah. They're like, you're doing business in too many States. You just all grew it's too, it's too complicated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're not doing this again. Um, my partner, Chris, that, that was the original private investor, um, 15,000. Yep. And now is tripled. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. I'll tell you what he turned it into. It's pretty yep. good. Um, but he, uh, right out of college, he, he went to the University of Iowa as an economics major and spent some time working at McGladdery, which is now RSM, you know, mm -hmm. huge, huge worldwide, you know, firm. CPA yeah. firm. They have a huge office in Cedar Rapids. So he walked us in there and uh, one of the partners, a guy named Steve Shane, our great guy as well. Um, I'll never forget, dude, we walk in there and Steve has my, you know, first couple of years of financials laid out on the table and he looks at me and he goes, Carter, I got one question for you how the fuck were you able to do this without any money? Right. And I was like, I don't have a choice, Steve. You were kind of the middle guy on a, on a lot of it. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're just kind of the guy that brokered deals. hundred percent, man. Yeah. Yeah. Just connecting buyers and sellers. Dude, there was so much fragmentation in that market. Those buyers and sellers could never find each other. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I love, like, I talk about fragmentation in markets a lot. To me, that's if there's a giant amount of fragmentation in market between buyer and seller, dude, there's a huge opportunity, right, for somebody to step in and connect those dots. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. And uh, Steve's like, 
all right, man, come with me. And he literally picked up all my stuff and he walked me downstairs. There was a bank in the lower level of the building where the CPA firm was located. And he walked right into the commercial banker's office and he laid the stuff down and goes, if you don't give this guy a $500,000 line of credit today, I'm going to take him to another bank. Right. <laughs> and they were like, okay. And Lines of credit. Let's yeah. touch on that a little bit. I don't think I have touched on a line of credit before. Yeah. A line of credit is from a bank and you basically, like I, for instance, I have a $50,000 line of credit. It means it's not really you know, uh, there's no collateral. Yeah. It's, it's unsecured. Just, it's, right? it's unsecured. It's just a signature. So say I need to buy a $25,000 piece of equipment and I don't have that budgeted. I can still write the check. The bank covers it. I have to pay a small amount of interest on in it, but it just kind of flows into your account. So you don't bounce a check. It's, 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 it's a fancy word for overdraft protection. You're, you're going to yeah. be protected and it's not like you can just go in, you can go in and withdraw the money, but that's not the purpose of it. The purpose is it, of it is to help you when cash flow is a small issue. Yep. So when you're doing these deals and you had to borrow that, if you would have had that $50,000 line of credit, you never would have had to bug your dad. 100%. But a bank just doesn't give it to you. I remember when I started Agave, I begged for a $5,000 line of credit and I got it. And then they just would, would do more and more and more. And it's like, yeah, 50 is fine. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's got to be pretty fucked up if I'm having to use this, this whole line of credit. But yeah, there's, there's contractors that have large lines of credit. I mean, yeah. I, when you said a half million, I, I have a friend that has 2 million yeah. and it's, that's a very real thing. These lines of credit are vital. So if you have a business, you want to have a line of credit. Yes. And it's, it's not that you have to use it. It is just a backup plan. It's just to, to help you. It's, yeah. it's, you don't have to worry about, oh my God, am I going to be make, able to make payroll? And, and my rule of thumb is your line of credit should be two payrolls. Shit hits the fan. You're fine. Your yeah. staff's protected. You got to protect your staff. So I just want to touch base on a line of credit. So go ahead. You got a 50 yeah. five, or 500,000 line of credit. So now you can buy more, maybe yeah. store it and then sell it. Yep. Right about that time, man, the guy that I had previously worked for, he went out of business. So you just absorb all that shit. Up. Yeah. So, uh, and that's got to feel good. Yeah. And, and there's nothing like people like, you know, there's really weird about revenge. Me, I fucking like it. <laughs> you know, I, I like revenge. It's not about being spiteful and shit. It's just about fuck you. And, and, and it feels karma's good. real, man. Karma's so goddamn real. Karma's real. And, uh, that was what, that was a good piece of advice that an old gentleman gave me when that whole deal was going on. He's like, Hey, so you hit another gear. Yeah. So absolutely, man. I mean, through that process, I acquired all of the other businesses assets out of a receivership process, uh, for $660,000 out of a receivership I don't know if I'm supposed process. to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. It's a receivership. It's, it's where it's bankruptcy the same state. Yeah. Yeah. It's bankruptcy. Right. So, but, so you had to do it through courts. Well, no, luckily, no. uh, and the, the, this is, this is, I love this story. It's one of my favorites, yeah, right? Cause I always had that reputation. Like I'd walk into these meetings with guys in suits and I'd have like a hoodie on and, you know, yeah. fat dip a Kodiak and guys like, who's this guy? You know, yeah. <laughs> so these guys Great, call me it? and they're like, Hey, uh, we understand, you know, something about this business. We'd like to talk to you. Will you come out and meet us like at the old, you know, the, their shop. And I was like, Ooh, that could be awkward. Like, no, no, nobody's here. Like, oh, okay. So I show up in this room and there's all these suits and ties and business suits and ladies in business suits, yeah. and, you know, just around this big, huge conference table. It's people from the bank, it's lawyers, it's this receivership people that were hired by the bank. And they're like, so, 
you know, explain to us what we got here. I went through all these deals and dude, what I figured out right away was these guys were bidding jobs under cost to do the jobs just to get POs because their bank was loaning them money on open POs. Okay. Not on receivables, like right. completed jobs, but on open POs, which is a catastrophic situation, right? Because as they started to get behind, they just started taking POs and underbidding jobs to you get just POs and, bar, and they just started to swirl down and, the drain. And, and he knew mm-hmm. when you, when you explain, you know, oh, this guy's buying houses and boats and you know what I mean? With these lines of credit that you're talking about that are solely to protect your ass and to, to take care of your business and your people, right? That's where that money's going. So he lost everything just because of mismanagement and ego. Ego, dude. The one thing that you hit it. We talk about it all the time. You got to keep your fucking ego in check. Yeah, I can tell you right now, man, if there's one thing I've learned about from somebody like him and other people I've been in business with, I have zero desire to be in business with somebody that doesn't have any gratitude and that yeah. has no humility. Yeah. If you're missing those two things, bro, you're fucked. I yeah. don't care how good you are, how good and, you and, think you and are. If success doesn't humble you, you got to get checked because it, oh. it should humble you. No, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Ego, man. That's kind of what did him in. But, uh, it was funny. So I'm sitting there with these guys and I'm like, okay, well, you know, for everything that's here, you know, there's trucks and tools and there's inventory and there's real estate. I mean, How many staff big, at this time? Uh, they had just over a hundred people at that point. Were they still working or were they bounced? Were their they paychecks were, bouncing? Did they yes, all leave? It was already kind of, there so was, lost there was a that. small handful of people that wanted to stay. And I was like, I don't need any of the people. You didn't believe in any of them. Mm-mm. I knew them all. Oh, you knew them all. You knew they were corrupt too. Well, it wasn't necessarily that. There was people, it was one of those deals where this guy was such a shitty guy to work for that he had had to overpay mm-hmm. staff just to get them to stay. Oh, I understand what you're saying now. And so like these people are there and the ones that are good, dude, they're getting paid such a high dollar amount. Like I couldn't afford them. Right. And, like the people that I would have wanted to stay. Right. No chance could I pay the salaries that they were getting paid. Right. And so nobody wants to go work for less, you know, no. <laughs> take a risk. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, no employees. Um, I looked at all the open jobs and I was like, I don't want any of those. Um, How was the equipment? Did they maintain it? Was it, uh, cause when you start, when you start losing shit, mm-hmm. shit starts to slide. Okay. Need to oil change on, you know, 30 some vehicles. No, we can't afford that right now. Oh, they need tires. We can't afford that right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was actually, you know, the stuff was okay. Um, the tools and stuff were good, man. Cause they were just, they would just not like, I feel like employees were just taking tools and stuff and they yeah. would just buy more tools. Like they weren't really paying attention to any of that. So there was tons of new tools. The only assets that I told them I would take was anything that didn't have a lean on it. So like their newer, nicer equipment all had debt on it. All that stuff went back to wherever, mm-hmm. you know, whoever they bought it from. Um, there had to be a warehouse or a shed. Was that owned or was that? Yeah, there was an owned piece of real estate and that was actually a sweet deal. So they had a a really nice facility, dude, five acres. There was 22 storage garages, like a 8,500 square foot steel building, you know, nice, nice facilities. Um, so these guys go, all right, Carter, you know, if you, if we really would like to do a deal with one person, just take all this stuff. So the suits were trying to in their heads, trying to manipulate you and to take on this problem. And in your head, it's like, I know how to solve this problem. Yeah. Did, did they work with you or was it more of a, they, it, this is our price and we're staying. No, it was it. great, dude. They were like, so give us, you know, if, if, if you were to just take everything, dude, and they had stuff stored in other States. I mean, this is a pretty big complex right. deal, but the inventory dude, nobody wants. Yeah. Because nobody can get rid of it. They don't know what to do with it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's ex- really expensive to move because you're talking cranes and you're yeah. talking overdimensional loads. You're t- I mean, seven bucks a mile. Permits, everything. Stuff. Yep. Yes. So 
I said, how much? Seven dollars a mile. It's yeah. Right now it's more. It's crazy, dude. So just for the permit for an oversized load. Correct. It's, so the, over, the whole not oversized. So you're talking weight. fuel. Yeah. Over yeah. over dimensional overweight. Over dimensional overweight. Yep. That's what it's called. Okay. Yep. So, you know, we're sitting there and they're like, "Give us a real number, man. If we just sell you everything." And what was the value of it first? Uh, I would say about a million six. The value of all of it. Yeah. So yeah, and that's they, like cost value, not yeah, like you I know gotcha. value in the in the market as far yeah. as sales value or potential value. Um, so I look at the guy and I'm like, I'll give you four hundred grand. And he's like, Oh God, you know, we can't sell it for four hundred grand. The building's worth more than four hundred grand, and you know, da 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 da. And I was like, Well, what are you guys thinking? He's like, Well, it's at least a million. And I was like, Okay, here's the deal, dude. I'll give you a million dollars for all the stuff, but you got to ship all the out of state equipment back to me. And he's like, well, they how much know. is that going to cost? And I'm like, I don't know, about a million bucks. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, well, we can't do it for 400, dude. Give me a real number. And I was like, I'll give you 660 grand. And they were like, okay. And so then I went to my bank after I had already tapped out the $500,000 line of credit. Cause you know, that happens, dude, I was, I was hiring, you know, 30 people. I mean, mm-hmm. just going nuts. Right. And I was like, Hey, I need this 660 grand. Dude, I had no cash at the time. Same thing. And they're like, well, dude, this is a big ask, you know, like you're tight. And I'm like, I know, man, we're growing, right? This is, we're supposed to be spending the money. This is what we're doing. Growing isn't supposed to be easy. It's painful. It's awful, dude. Yep. It's awful. And, and, and I don't know about you, but like, as you're in a really heavy growth period, like, dude, I never had any money, right? Yep. It was like, you just, you just keep making that next move. And you know, I'd have windfalls of cash that would come in. I would do a bunch of deals. You know, and then all of a sudden I was really cash tight again. But yep. like I put, I deployed all my resources, dude. If I had it, I just redeployed it, whether it was buying trucks, whether it was buying yeah. equipment, you know, hiring people, whatever I needed to do. You're planting corn. You plant corn. You put the, you put the corn out there, let it grow. Right? Yep. You yep. just keep planting seeds with that. It's ammunition, right, man? Right. Just keep freaking spreading ammo around. And, and, uh, the bank looked at me kind of the same thing. They're like, well, dude, we'll give you the 660, but you got to pay it back in six months. And I'm like, no problem. Dude, I sold the building for 500. So you got a line of credit then. Uh, it was basically a line of credit yes. with, a, with a kind of a balloon payment on interest and yep, shit. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Yep. Yep. So I sold the building dude the next week for 550,000 mm-hmm. and closed on that 30 days later. I sold two pieces of inventory dude and paid the loan off in a couple months. And that's when my bank relationship became like wide open. And, but let, let's not just downplay this. I guarantee there was a lot of fucking headache with moving around equipment, emptying out that warehouse. <coughs> Excuse where, me. Where the hell are you going to put it? Yeah. Wild, run, <laughs> yeah, wild running lot, your yeah. company. Yeah. You can't bullshit me. I know there's a yeah. lot of headache. There's, and we had to have all the equipment off the real estate because, you know, the real estate was sold. You know what I mean? So we're yeah. over there and trying to and, and, and you can imagine, dude, shit. people had shit just piled up everywhere on the property. You right. know what I mean? There was. Did the DNR get involved or anything to make sure you're not dumping mortar oil and all that stuff? I mean, no, not really. We, I mean, we have to deal with some environmental stuff because HVAC units, you know, have R 22 or R 410A or some kind of coolant and all that stuff. But as long as we're not dismantling, opening, you know, letting any of that stuff out into the atmosphere. So I used a lot of what was called reuse permits, Mm -hmm. a lot of environmental reuse permits and stuff like that. Meaning like, I'm not junking this thing. I'm going to fix it and use it. Um, so we did that and we got through a lot of stuff. There was, it was actually, man, it went really smooth. You know, it took a lot of bodies and a lot of help from people around me to, to get all that stuff organized and allocated and moved. And 
Uh, but all of a sudden, dude, here we are. We got 11 more trucks. We got a shitload of tools. We got a bunch of inventory we didn't have. How old are you right now? 41. No, 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 no. How old are you at the t- this point? Oh, at that point? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Let's see. 31. So you're at this point, you're 31 years old. How long have you been in the game now? Uh, so I was on year four. Year four. Okay. No, no, that's not right. Hold on. Let me, let me think about this. It was, I was 33 and I was in year three. Got you. Because the three years from 27 to 30, I worked for the other guy. Right. So it was 31, 32, 33. And then he went sideways right at the end of that year that I was 33. Yeah. When you start fucking off, it doesn't take long. Yeah. The lies catch up to you, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember like sitting there with the banker and this is an interesting, maybe for the podcast and the people out there that are, you know, like, how does that happen? And this was what was really interesting to me is like, okay, well, I'm looking at all these financials and I'm seeing this guy losing, you know, a couple million bucks a year, dude, for the last three years in a row. Mm -hmm. And I sit down with this, this bank guy and I'm like, dude, how do you let this guy go? You know, year after year. And he's like, Carter, if we pull the plug, we know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's a guarantee that we get none of the money back. Right. So we try to prop these guys. I mean, dude, the bank wants you to succeed. The bank wants you to they succeed. They need you to succeed. They just won't do business with you ever fucking again. Yeah. That, that's how it is. If, if you do good with the bank, they're always got your back. But that's if right. you fuck over bank, they're not necessarily going to close you up, but they're going to wait until they're on the good end of it and then you're done they'll call the loan they'll just call the loan then yeah i think you have to treat you know your financial relationships as a partnership 100 percent. you know i want my bank to make money man Mm -hmm. i don't care about paying another half a percent in interest right but what i care about is that if shit hits the fan dude these guys are gonna help me figure it out right and but when you start lying to them it's over oh you'll never repair it no and not and, and dude we're in a small you know even even here you know it's a small world, man. Mm-hmm. Word travels fast. Yep. And when people start talking, it's not just that bank that's not going to do business with you. Oh, you they know? talk. <laughs> oh, they, they all talk. talk. Yeah, they all, they all yep. Hey, avoid this guy like the plague. Right. <laughs> you know? and, and a lot of people that get into trouble, I think, do that, right? They end up going around to multiple banks. I mean, this guy had done that, right? Where right. he was pulling money from different banks, not telling people he had other debt. Yeah, you know, I need a line of credit. Hey, I need a line of credit. Yep. Yeah, bad yep. intentions. And then robbing Peter to pay Paul yep. and, you know, taking taking money off of this line of credit to pay a payment on this line of credit. Right. Like, dude, you're you're fucked at that point. You're beyond fucked. So now you're you're 33. Yep. You've got all this inventory. You've doubled you've almost doubled in size now. Yeah, it's probably more than that. Yeah. We went from Dude, it was just crazy, you know. We went, you know, six fifty to three point three, and then we did another year about three point three, and then we did about four, and then we did about six, and then we did, you know, eight, and then twelve, and then, you know, next thing you know, we're doing twenty something, and then it's thirty something. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like next thing I know, man, there's a hundred employees. Um, you know, we're doing business with people like Verizon and American Tower, and U.S. Cellular, and Crown Castle, and SBA Communications Corp. And I mean, these are big, these are multi-billion dollar companies. And they just kept feeding us, man. It was like, we were, we, you ever seen the movie 300? Yeah. <laughs> Looking awesome, right? Right. So I kind of tell people like, that's kind of what our business atmosphere kind of became, dude. We were like the, the under-resourced people, like the small guys, right? Mm-hmm. That were trying to play in like the bigger market. But dude, we were so agile 
we had people that could do anything and everything. Like we never shied away from like the most complicated, scary work. We did lots of disaster recovery work after hurricanes and floods. But you were doing the shit that they did not want to do. Correct. And those guys still need their main contractors to do what it is that they're doing because they're trying to deploy networks so fast. So when something out of the you know norm pops up, they don't want to pull those guys away from that work that they have Correct. to get done. So we picked up a lot of those types of opportunities, you know, um, and and we just built a good reputation, man. You know, we 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 are human. Yep. You know, we made mistakes, and I think one of the still to this day one of the biggest things was when we made a mistake, man. It's like I raised my hey, dude, sorry, we fucked up you know, what do you want me to do? Uh, what's, you know, Hey, here's a couple options, but it was never, you know, it was never companies calling us saying, Hey, yeah, you're we not caught sweep- you. Yeah. You know? you're, not, <laughs> you're not sweeping it under the rug. No, you're just no. being straightforward. Yeah. I fucked this up. Sorry. I'm going to make it right. Yes. Yep. What do I need to do? Yep. And so, yeah, so, you know, that there's a, there's a, so much that happens dude in, in that, that point. But, um, you know, long in the short, what ended up happening was, um, you know, COVID happens. Um, and dude, I don't know how the fuck you survived through that, by the way. Like if I would have been in anybody's position that was like forced to not do business, I think I would have went AWOL, bro. Serious. It was, <laughs> I don't know how you did it. It was, uh, it was a dark time, but it, it's, how do I say it? U.S. politics and state politics uh, really, you know what saved saved a lot of restaurants was when Minnesota closed, unfortunately, because a lot of good fucking restaurants in Minnesota closed, but they all came over here to Wisconsin, and, and, and we took full advantage of that, and we were wise with, with the, the money, and we paid back you know, I, I never had a $50,000 line of credit until COVID happened. Yeah. And I was like, hey, can I get a $50,000 credit? And they're like, yeah, you got it. And huge. We, I huge. was scared. Oh, I, I, was, I was scared, man. <laughs> I was Everybody scared, was scared. Man. It was a scary time. And I wasn't scared of the fucking virus because I've made my piece. I was scared about the staff. Yeah. It, it, what am I leaving behind? Right. The buildings, you know, because people forget. They don't forget. People want to ignore the insurance, they don't take a day off. Nope. The billing payment doesn't take a day off. The electricity doesn't take a day off. And employees' bills don't take a day off. No. So, but we were fortunate. You know, we took advantage of the first round of the the PPP loan, yep. that stuff. We qualified for that. But then I opened up a second restaurant that was basically based on to-go. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't qualify for anything else after that. So like when they did the second round, they're like, no, can't help you. You you grew. Yeah. You're making money. (laughs) Yeah. And it was just, but that's why I got a food trailer. Why'd you get a food trailer? In case this ever happens again, we could set up in any parking lot and run it like a Chick-fil-A. The people are standing outside and going up to the cars and just taking stuff to the cars. It's, it's, you learn quick. And that's part of being an entrepreneur. You learn quick from, when something bad happens, so yeah. it doesn't happen again. I don't foresee anyone getting shutting down, but if we ever did get shut down again, we're going to be fine. It's, we, you know, it doesn't happen twice. Huge learning experience. Yeah. hundred percent. So for us, the COVID situation was like the opposite. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh my gosh, we have all these people want to work from home, school from home. The infrastructure is not going to handle it. We have 
half the country that doesn't have high speed internet access. Right. We got buried. I mean, like buried. And you, and you know what else you have working to your advantage? You don't have cars on the road. Yeah. You can transport things a little bit quicker. Yeah. But did you have a problem with workforce? We didn't. So it was crazy because we didn't know exactly what was going on. You know, obviously like everybody, I'm, I'm at home one night. I got guys in Kansas. Okay. Yeah. I, I've got guys all over the country, you know, right. I got guys in Kansas, like Sunday night, dude, they call me and they're like, Hey man, we just got kicked out of our hotel. I'm hmm. like, and of course I'm immediately, I'm like, what the fuck did you guys do? <laughs> you know? right. like, what were you doing? Cause of COVID. And they're like, no, no dude, they kicked out everybody. Like they're closing the hotel. And I was like, Oh God what the fuck, you know, like what, is there something going on in that hotel? You know, dude, a million things start going through my mind. We bring everybody back, have this conversation, pretty much told everybody, Hey, you know, if your job allows you to work from home, you can, the guys that are out in the field, dude, we're out in the field. We're not around any people, you know, you're working out on a physically out on a cell site somewhere out in the middle of a right. cornfield or whatever. It's a great, great work environment. There's nobody around. Um, and so we have this conversation and like three or four guys come up to me from the office and they're like, Hey, I'm not working from home. I said, Hey dude, you don't have to work from, home. you know what I mean? Like it's just an option. Mm -hmm. So those three or four guys are there. I'm there. Next thing you know, the next week there's like 12 people there. Yeah. Everyone and comes back. the next week, like everybody's back. <laughs> I, so, I think so, I was we'll, so we'll lucky. We lost one person cause of COVID, right? Yeah. We had one as well. Yeah, just one, so. just mm -hmm. one that kind of just like, yeah, I'm going to collect unemployment. Yeah. Well, we had a guy try. We had one guy that tried and it was awesome because we get the Iowa, you know, Iowa was great to you. Like Kim Reynolds was great to that whole situation. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Hey, do whatever you want, but we're not going to stop our entire economy. Right. Like people got to function. Right. And so we had one employee that was like, you can't make me work, you know? Okay. Bye. And, and so they tried to, you know, say that we owed them all this unemployment and all this stuff. So we get through the Iowa department of labor and they send this guy a letter that basically says, Hey dude, if there's a job for you and you choose not to take it, you're not eligible for that's your voluntary termination. Bottom line. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So, so anyway, he's gone, he was gone and uh, everybody else kept pounding, man. And we just kept getting busier. Well, the other thing that happened was a lot of businesses didn't sell on in the private equity market or the VC market, you know, the venture capitalist market in 2020 or 2021, because a lot of people had bad financial years. Right. 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 And so all of a sudden, man, this private equity money starts to build, you know, the VC money's building and there's nothing to buy. So we're like, well, maybe we should take this thing out to the market and see what it's worth. So I, you know, we started down the path and we had, had we had been approached by a couple companies, you know, about buying our business before. And, and so like, dude, this is, Hey, if we can take advantage of the situation, you know, timing is everything, right? I think that's another and so huge far part. you're 90% owner and you're 86%. 86 yeah, is where I ended up. So I had, there was four of us total at the beginning. Chris and I ended up buying out the other two partners and I landed at 86% and he ended yep. up at 14% of the shares. Got it. Um, so, you know, we started talking to investment bankers and we started interviewing people, met these guys we really like from Tampa, Florida, Skyway Capital Markets is the company that we use to sell, sell the business, take the business out to market. And these guys are telling me like, Hey man, what do you think it's worth? You know, what do you think it's worth? And I'm like, I don't know, man, I'm hoping like, 24, 25 million. And they took the thing out to market, dude said, Hey, you should get, you know, six, eight LOIs, you know, letters of interest. Um, in, in three days, dude, we had 23 LOIs. No kidding. Explosive. And a letter of interest, you're not telling them anything yet. You're just saying what your field is, 
probably yep. what your revenue is, but not your expenses. It's not like you're giving them a balance sheet showing them basically what your checkbook ledger is yeah. and what your taxes are. You're just saying, yeah. hey, I'm available. Yeah, they've seen a SIM, right? So they've seen a confidential information memorandum yep. that the investment banker puts together that kind of says, hey, here's the areas these guys are in. Here's some of their clients. Yep. You know, they just kind of build some. It's, some it's like a generic overview for people to understand. Yep. Totally. Yep. There's the arena we're in. Um, and dude, you know, the, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, how do you not fucking do that deal, right, man? Right. It's market circumstance, you know, and and it's and now, you know, here it's a year. That was, that was a year ago, so, you know, that was one of the craziest times in my life, bro. You know, I go through nine months of due diligence after this letter of intent. We pick the people. We get into a purchase agreement. Nine months of due diligence to you, lifting up your skirt, going through every single thing. And this is another thing I remember, and I think this is really important for people that want to start out and run their own business. And 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 I don't know what your situation is. I have a feeling you're a lot like me, but dude, I never ever intermingled any of my personal funds with my business funds ever. No, I paid myself a fucking salary. Yeah, I paid myself. This a is paycheck. what I get yep. paid. You yep. know what I mean? Um, I never bought stuff with company money. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Never. So this guy sits down. This guy from Boston. He's like. Let me ask you a question. How much money in EBITDA adjustments do you have in 2012? Explain 20? EBITDA. So, we all so EBITDA adjustments would be those items, right? Like I went out and bought my R8 with company funds. Right. Well, I have to make an EBITDA adjustment to show. Just to show that it, it's not the company <laughs> funds. Yeah. That it was should for be, you. That, that money should be sitting in the company profit. It should be sitting in the company checkbook, but it's not. It's not because I spent it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But there's, there's, there's people that do that. A lot. There's, yeah. There's people that'll... Uh, a cabin yes you know saying hey i need yeah. it for the weekend i need it to relax or some bullshit where you know you can bullshit some you know your buddy or your cp or something but the department of treasury if they come looking you're not going <laughs> to bullshit them on it so it, it's just best practice just to be 100 percent truthful and transparent yeah and th that's the only way you can put a true value on your business is when you're not fucking lying about it yes you know, so oh, you running just, clean books, man, running clean books, having the right accounting people, the right just, CPAs, the right lawyers, you know, yeah, just understand so the Department tight. of Treasury. Yeah, they're, they're understanding, but they're not forgiving. Yeah, I had multiple people tell us through the due diligence process. They're like, dude, this is the cleanest business we've ever seen this size. Right. Um, you know, because we were a middle market, you know. That last year and before we sold, we did, we did 34 million in revenue that last year before we sold. And it, dude, we just ran a fucking good business. And a lot of that was my business partner, man. He was, he was much more knowledgeable on the finance side of the business. Mm -hmm. Um, anytime I had questions or I was unsure, it was like, dude, he knew or had the right person to talk to, or, you know, like he did so many things dude, that were so key, you know, throughout that process of building the business and then selling the business. And, you know, if it had not been for that, advice of dude it's got to be clean and he used to always tell me like dude nobody wants to buy somebody else's dirty laundry now let's let's pause for a second and when you have business partners mm -hmm. you have to be clean mm -hmm. because it, it will destroy a relationship oh yeah and and i i don't have business partners on anything because i just you're just stubborn yeah, it's not that I'm. <laughs> it, it's it's not that I'm stubborn. Not any stubborn, isn't he? Tell the truth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, that's okay, I, man. Okay, it's okay. I, you gotta I, be I a little hard-headed. But I I just have this thing. I my mind's always racing. I don't yeah. I don't want to fucking ask for permission on anything. Right. 
I just want to just let me work. Let yes. me work. Cause believe me, if I have a partner, he ain't working as hard as I am. Right. And he ain't putting in the hours that I am. Yeah. And that's the, that's how a relationship will start to deteriorate when one's not working harder than the other. Yeah. You build resentment. It, fuck yeah. You build resentment quick. Yeah. And it's like, get the fuck out of my life. I don't want you around. Yeah. And I've, I just have never had that, but I've seen it with other partnerships, other companies. I pay when you're a bartender, you pay attention to that shit yeah. and you ask these questions. So you're in a partnership, but you yeah. want to keep everything clean and you know, clean cut. And if I was in a partnership, I, it would be so spotless too, because yeah. why have that? Why deal with it? Cause it's just going to end up in a lawsuit. Why fucking deal with it? Oh, I didn't well, do why any... let the lawyers get the money, you know? And, and honestly, Paul, like I needed it. It was the perfect situation for me because you know, yeah, my partner wasn't as involved in the day-to-day -day grind, but he never, you know, the, when he questioned me, it was always valid. Mm -hmm. It was never to try to stop me from doing something. It was like, Hey, did you think about this? Cause you know, I get so jacked up to, you know, I'd get an idea. Fuck yeah, dude, this is what we're going to do. We're this gonna is going to crush it. Right. Yep. And he would be like, Hey dude, I like that. But did you think about this? And I'm like, Oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the <laughs> buzzkill. <laughs> but you know, those are, some of those are life saving discussions, yeah. right? I mean, those could be potentially catastrophic things that I would have missed because I get so tunnel vision into, and, and I think I heard you talk about it on one of the previous podcasts. Like, you know, same thing, man, if you're not living and breathe, I mean, if your business does not become your identity, you're not doing it right. Right. Correct. You, you will not go out there and make a mark on the planet and create something. If you don't live it and breathe it and eat it and sleep it every single day that you're in it. And it's hard to do, man. If you're either wired that way, I feel like, or you're not, or you have to create that daily routine that allows you to live and breathe that entity in and out every day. And, you know, knowing that at the end of the day, you know, Chris had this piece of ownership over here and I had this bigger piece over here. It was like, it was, it made sense, right? It's like I, I, for, for 14% of the shares, dude, I got a sounding board mm -hmm. and somebody that's a lot smarter than I am to help guide me through some of these pieces that I'm not as good at or not as capable of understanding. Yep. It was giant, giant. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, it's worth it. It's a pretty good return. That's a pretty good fucking return. I don't, <laughs> I don't know of anything else besides what a lottery ticket, maybe, you know? Yeah. But yeah, my financial advisor doesn't give me returns like that. Right. So, yeah. So what, so I, did you, you know, cause he had to know this was coming not to an end, but it being sold, that's no longer going to be your burden. You're not going to be thinking. Yeah. About it. I mean, yeah. And I told you, man, I, I, my plan was, you know, sell it. I wanted to stay involved, you know, stay, stay. I wanted to continue to run the business. You know, we had gotten to the point where I understood that I had hit my capability, right? Yeah. Like I'm not a, I'm not a corporate guy. Right. Right. I'm a small business guy. And that's guy. what it was turning it into. It was. And then like these guys come in, you know, private equity guys from Boston come in. Okay, man, we're not going to change anything. You keep running the business. You keep making the decisions. You know, you will keep all your resources. Dude, within, you know, 30 days, all my resources are gone. Yeah. You know, these guys make it really clear they don't want me around. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, you know, I, I told them at the time I sold it, like, I'm probably, I'm not a fucking CEO of a $100 million a year business, dude. I'm not. Because I want to walk into a meeting in a fucking hoodie with a fat dip of Kodiak in. Yeah. You know, like I'm not some people that's not that's not the right you know perception that they right. want to give. So you know from that from this point, well let me tell about talk about the day that it closed, okay? Yeah, when 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 what time period are we talking about? September 9th, 2021. 
last year. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of this, dude, after all the due diligence is done and they've tried, it's really hard to try to prove that you've done something that they can devalue the business to. There was nothing mm-hmm. right. Nine months, super clean. And all of a sudden dude, we, we get ready to close the deal. So everybody's got to get on a phone call and verbally state, you know, yes, I understand this is the paperwork I've signed. I understand this is what I'm agreeing to. There's lawyers on the phone. You know, you got both parties, buyer and seller. And, you know, they explain everything to me. Okay, this is the amount of money that's going to come after all the debt's paid. And this is your percentage and da, 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 da. And your head's spinning. Dude, I hung up the phone and I sobbed. Yeah. I sobbed, dude. Like, I, it was like one of the best cries I've had in a long time. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, dude, we fucking did it. Yeah. Life-changing money. We did it. And I know he's Okay. You know, I know my wife's okay. Do I spent 11 years of my life thinking to myself, like, you know, praying, please, dear God, let all my guys come home in one piece today. Mm-hmm. You know, we're doing dangerous work, man, around heavy equipment, moving 40, 50,000 pound structures around. Dude, it's not, it doesn't have to be somebody's fault, man. Something breaks, you know, people die doing what dude, we do. Imagine a break, air brake going out on a trailer. It's all going it's 55 simple, down right? the road. Dude, that shit happens all the time. All the time. Mechanical failures happen all mm-hmm. the time. And so all of a sudden, man, I didn't, I don't even think I realized that like that wasn't my worry anymore. Mm-hmm. And like all of this, it's just it's like hard to shut it off. Sigh of relief. Right. And you, like, fe- and, you, and you feel this big weight come off your chest that you didn't even know was there. Yeah. You didn't know it was there. Yeah. And I never knew Paul that this would be, you know, when we started the business, you know, we, Chris and I had the conversation of like, we think we can build a sellable entity. So, I mean, we thought about that from day one, right? That's why we were so anal about keeping some of the things clean, you know, keeping the financials clean, building those partnerships with banks and, yeah. and you know, all those right people, CPA firms and lawyers. And, and then all of a sudden it happened and it was like, holy shit, you know? Like, I didn't even understand through, uh, I didn't even understand this whole private equity market. I mean, dude, I learned so much just going through that process. And were you ready for it to be over personally? You say you were, yeah, you're not. No. Because now your day-to-day life changes. Oh, dude, I went through like two months of depression. Yeah. Like deep depression. Because all of a sudden, man, like I, I, I didn't realize how much value that I put on the fact that, you know, I am the provider for my wife and my kids. And like, they, you know, I I had this weird thought, man, keep coming into my head of like, they don't need me anymore. Well, it's not that you made that up in your head. That's not the actual No, it's funny because a friend of mine's like, dude, they need you for a lot more than the financial stability. Right. But now you are fucking with yourself in your own head because now the financial part's done. But you still got your, you know, uh, repetition, meaning the stuff that you normally do. You get up at this time, you put on your work. Oh clothes, yeah. You go to work, and now that's gone. Now you have to recreate a new daily. Yeah. Without it turning into crazy, a piece dude. of shit. Without turning in, just being lazy. You know, pushing shit off. Yeah. And now you got. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I got to deal with the addictive side of myself right because now all of a sudden the other thought that pops in my head is like dude you can do whatever the fuck you want yeah you can't you got to be more careful like right. oh dude just what you got nothing to worry about, you know and it's kind of interesting man i told you about i ended up buying you know 900 acres of farm ground around where i grew up and mm-hmm. and honestly man like that was part of it. my wife and i having this discussion i'm telling her this is what i've always wanted to do because i've watched you know in my lifetime i'm a huge outdoorsman dude i spent a lot of time doing conservation work and things of that nature and i think that you know in Iowa, especially where we have such a large agricultural footprint, 
I've watched a lot of the native natural habitat in Iowa be destroyed in my lifetime. And, you know, my dad was a conservationist and is a conservationist still. And I, I've spent time with my dad restoring some really heavily agriculture, beat up property to kind of native natural habitat. Dude, over 10, 15 years, you watch, it's beautiful, right? All of a sudden there's all this life, you know, just happens. And, yeah, Mother Nature takes shit back real quick. Oh, it's amazing, right? And it's a beautiful thing to watch. And I was fortunate enough to be able to pick up some pieces that people had done really heavy conservation work on for many, many years before I bought them. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I kind of had this feeling of like, it's, I have this opportunity to protect some of this stuff that I'm really passionate about. Payson went out and shot a big deer off one of our farms. What was that? September 27th, 17th. Um, first day of youth season, like seeing him out there doing stuff that I did with my dad that still to me, man, like when I'm out there in nature, like that's my, that's my meditation. It is now. Oh yeah, it has been really my whole life. Yeah, but, but, I, you, but I became you put, separated you put it from on that. Lot. Yeah, you put it on hold. Mm -hmm. you, you lost that person. Now you're back to it. I did, dude. I've deer hunted more this year than I have in the last twenty years. Right. You know. So, do we want to talk about the rumor about a Ford GT? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you this story about the GT. If you yeah, want. <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's one. My of wife hates this story. By the way, it's she's like, going to be really pissed. I love these cars. So, you know, deal gets done September 9th mm -hmm. of 2021. My 40th birthday is October 1st, 2021. Okay. Okay. So literally like three weeks after I closed this deal, dude, you know, giant, yeah. giant amount of cash lands in my bank account. Shit in my pants. My wife had said to me a few weeks before that, she's like, you know, is there, is there any other cars? Because, you know, I, I've got some pretty cool stuff, dude, yeah. in the garage and like stuff that I'm passionate about that some people may look at and be like, uh, but stuff I love. And I was like, you know, not really. I've got like really everything that I am really passionate about. I'm like, well, the only one car that I would really love to have would be like a 2006 Hennessy built Ford GT. Hennessy built? Yeah, like a GT 1000. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> you know, like so you want two mile speed record. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So dude, we, you know, here's the crazy part, bro. My wife somehow found one, bought it without me knowing and surprised me with it for my 40th birthday. She, she found a GT or a Hennessy GT? A Hennessy GT 1000. How? Where? How? Larry found it. Larry found it. Well, she called Larry. A, a Larry said, our, our late friend, Larry. Yes. The one that, yeah, just Larry passed away. Yeah. 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 Yep. So. Larry, Larry could find fucking anything. Do Larry. I miss Larry already. Yeah. We but could, yeah. That's, yeah. That's a whole nother thing. But, uh, but you know what? Um, one thing about Larry, I want to say, fuck everybody that's got something bad to say, because I feel like I watched that guy do a lot of great things for our yeah. people. I watched his interactions with Payson. You know what I mean? It was, he was Larry. No one's going to say a bad thing to any of us, and it's just not going to happen. And the opinions of people that don't know, it, it shouldn't move you. It, it shouldn't have no effect on you. We knew Larry. Yeah. Okay. Me, I don't blame Crown. You know, at first it's real easy to get upset about it, but you know, oh, what? It that's the way Larry fault. drove. Oh, yeah, Larry was crazy, man. That's yep. that's one of the things that made and, Larry Larry. And again, I don't want to get into it, but the, the, those that that Porsche five star car, I get it, five star car. It's a pavement depression, whatever it was. You know, we've all seen them. We've all been in those situations where the car gets sucked down, bounced up. We don't know what happened. We weren't there, but you and I both know how Larry drives. Yeah, I was there. I drove through there right before he did. Yeah. Oh, it, so you drove through that area. It was bad. 
Yeah, the road was bad. It was bad, dude, and you couldn't see it. You know, normally you see spots like that. Mm-hmm. So it was a depression. Yeah, it was like a little whoop de woo in the road. We right. went, we went airborne. We flew through the air. What car were you in? The Panamera. You were in the Panamera. Mm-hmm. My eight hundred horse Panamera. Yeah, there's no, there's no uh, travel suspension traveling that thing if, either. If that car, what do you have? Like six inches of traveling that thing? Yeah, nothing. It's lowered too. So like. But so dude, the wheelbase of that car is so long. So long, yeah. And it's 2,000 pounds, I mean, 1,500 pounds heavier. Mm-hmm. And so when we went airborne and we were we were moving, and yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how, the guys behind us said we were three feet off the ground. No shit. And we came down not straight. No. And somehow we were fine. And the car just kind of righted itself and did the same thing. I... It was I, Payson and I looked at each other and we're like, somebody's going to die there today. And we fucking drove. Dude, we didn't have any phone service. So we're trying to call people, call people. We're in a huge right. panic. You know, we're driving up, trying to drive. And so as soon as we got phone service, dude, the first text that comes in is Larry crashed and he died. So I got a phone call from the scene from our friend, Sean. Yep. And he's like, Larry's gone. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's gone. He's gone. I go, what's going on? And he's breaking it's awful, up. And bro. It's just set the phone down. You know, we weren't there. I just set the phone down. It's like, I don't want to think about this. I don't want to talk about it because we've all been in the situation. Larry drove hard. Mm-hmm. And Larry was just everything over the top conversations. And he loved over the top. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, I mean, dude, the car builds that he did for me, it's made my love of cars what it is it's, mm-hmm. it's a different level right like he understood what i wanted and gave me what i asked for and you know again like being able to spend the time i've spent with Payson as my co-pilot and there's a lot of people too they're like dude you're an idiot you know you take your kid on these rallies like it's so dangerous and you know how it is man when you're driving around people that you're comfortable with you know how they drive yeah it's not dangerous. it's not dangerous right no. it's a it's probably a lot safer than just driving out in random traffic on the interstate correct but yeah. You know, I would not trade that time that I've been able to spend with him. And, you know, Larry really just kind of took that to another level for us, right? Mm-hmm. Where we became more passionate about it. People wanted to know about our cars. You know, did you see a 800 horsepower station wagon keeping up with the GT3 RS? Like, yeah, you're like, yeah. what the fuck, dude, is going on with this thing? Right. You know? so. And he had wood panels on the side of it. Well, they were, they were, uh, <laughs> yeah, it he was, did. Yeah, stickers, yeah. but it still, it, looked, it was, it's the same thing. And I don't want to get rid of my Panamera because that was his, right. you know, that I have the same tune. And yours was, Panamera. yours was wrapped, uh, that wasn't your zombie no your zombie rap was on this this one. yeah yeah what? that thing kind of looks like a time machine we did it like yeah. an 80s time machine it's, i remember uh, it now it's like pink and blue and black yeah it's it's cool but now see when you're driving that's that's the only time that i can uh just get everything out of my head yeah it's it's cleared you, you, out you can't really focus on anything else you can't while focus you're driving you, intensely dead yeah you yeah. know and it's not about the driving the speeds it's about handling the corners, the stopping. There's other people around. You don't want to be reckless. That's right. So your brain is 100% focused on the driving. And I think that's why I like it so much because it is shut off. Yeah. And as soon as you turn the key off and the rumble's gone and you stand up, it's you feel everything kind of rush back, business numbers, you know, percentages, everything. It just comes right back. And, and, yeah. it's, and, and to someone who's not used to it, it's a curse. But to me, I, 
I choose it every single fucking day. Yeah. And yeah. now you now at this point in October, you've yeah. been out of it for a month. You're still thinking of it every day, but you're trying to train yourself. This isn't my life anymore. Your wife finds you through our friend, Larry, late friend, Larry, a 1000 horsepower Ford GT. <laughs> so it wasn't from the sixties. It was a newer one. What year yeah, is it? Oh six. So it wasn't actually a new model. Yeah. It was new, a 2006. Yep. 2006. So is that the brand new model? The John Cena getting sued model, or is it the one older? It's the one older. Okay. Still the 0506. Yep. Model. Yeah. So, they did it for two years, yep, right? Yep, yeah. It was the five. So you got the circles the in the seats. Yep. It was, the, yeah. it was the five, four with the supercharger. And then Hennessy put two giant turbos on it. Hold on. So you have, you don't have turbos and supercharger. Oh yeah. You got turbo. You got all three. Yeah. Holy fuck. So dude, you, you ever been on a crotch rocket? Yeah, but I had a ZX11 as a kid. Yeah. So, dude, the boost it had a, a had a boost a vacuum gauge in it. Yeah. Right. And as soon as the supercharger would hit to the point where the turbos would take over, it would literally like kick you back. Dude, it was everything was insanity. What color? Black. How did you get gray it? Gray stripes. What did, what, how did she present it to you? She threw a birthday party for did me. Did you know about this? His kid says, look on his face is priceless. Did you know about it before it? Yeah. <laughs> Little bastard. I know. I don't know. How the fuck. Where's the fucking I, trust? You, you know, you're supposed you, to tell you know, him about this, this. The car is expensive. Somehow my wife paid for the thing. I had no idea. Scared the shit out of me a little mm -hmm. bit. I was kind of like, how did she pull this off? Dude, I call, I'm calling my bank. Hey, I need statements. She's like, oh yeah, our systems are down. Dude, my wife had my bank people, everybody yeah. like she, she snowed completely. No idea. Right. Mm -hmm. So she has this little birthday party thing for me at our country club. I remember at Elmcrest Country Club, so Zach Johnson's home club, right? Mm -hmm. Cedar Rapids. And uh, she walks me down to the little area, and there's all my all these people standing there. I didn't know we were going to be there. Like, surprise. I'm like, oh, sweet. Everybody's here. And then everybody, like, parted, and the car was behind them. Wow. And I shit my pants, bro. It's the nicest fucking thing anybody's ever done for me. Did you touch it? I mean, did you look at oh, it? Oh, it got in it and started it immediately. Oh, really? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, that was, that was like, to me, that was it, right? Because, you know, I'm a European car guy. Yeah. Um, but, like, to me, that is American. That's the closest thing to an American exotic car 100%. that had ever been built. Yeah. And, you know, that car set the record for the fastest zero two mile time at 254 miles an hour. You know, I mean, the car performance wise was incredible. Six speed mm -hmm. manual, you know, there's no fluff frills. It's toggle switches on the inside. Like it's a race car, man. Does it even have air conditioning? Cause some it of them does. didn't. Okay. It did, but so you it have was, the luxury model. Yeah. It was like, that was the nicest thing. Yeah. And it was the fact that you had air. Yep. And, <laughs> you're, and, and you're, you're an inch shorter when you get out of the car because your spine's compressed because th there's no forgiveness in it. <laughs> no, it's so stiff. Yeah. Yeah. But dude, great car. So this is what happened. I take the thing. I call a buddy of mine um, who owns uh, Castle Motors in Cedar Rapids, right? Yes. Super nice guy, Roger Castle and his brother, Jay. And Jay's a great mechanic, dude. And then Roger's son, Landon, is a NASCAR driver for Ford. So, you know. I talked to Roger. I said, Hey dude, I think the car's missing a little bit. I'm getting ready to put it away for wintertime. This is like the end of November. Mm -hmm. Um, I driven it what four times, probably three or four times. Um, and I took it out once by myself and I walked in the house and I looked at my wife and I said, that thing is a death trap. Yeah. And you know, 
They're and meant I, to, and dude, I've driven some weird shit and like this thing was different. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is different. different. You, those cars you're supposed to put on a lift and stare at. Mm-hmm. Cause it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a machine, right? Yeah, it's not there to go fast. It's there to kill you. So here's what happens. So Roger says, Hey, do you Jay, you know, works on those motors all the time. He's the only person I would trust. Bring it down to the dealership. We'll go through it quick. We'll get it all ready to go. And then you can put it away for the winter. I'm like, sweet. Jay gets the car, takes it to his home shop, which is like 20 miles away gets into it sends me a message hey dude there's a couple spark plugs welded together i'm just gonna put high performance spark plugs in it like perfect dude just replace them all he did um i get a call like three hours later from roger and he's like hey man jay wrecked your car what do you mean wrecked it i it's what i i started laughing yeah and there's like no he lost control on the, the ass and let loose yeah so he actually floored it well because yeah, so just I, so pe- so the general public knows when you're in a high horsepower car like yeah anything over 700 it doesn't matter it's all fucking crazy yeah. so yeah. anything over 700 you don't floor the car you feather into it you yes. ease into it there's no one in this world that's going to disagree with me if you have an all-wheel drive car yeah you can hit a little harder you got an ass end car you have to be gentle yeah. you have to be gentle you have to know the road you have to know the temperature you have to know the fucking tires you yep. don't just fucking throttle down throttle down you're gonna lose it yes and dude temperature was a big part of it so end of november it's 29 degrees outside so, so your tires are hard hard as a rock dude. does not and, matter you know, that thing's got yeah yeah anything on anything under 50 degrees unless you have ice tires on which you're not going to put on a performance car right you're fucked yes go on uh yeah so it was so here's you know he anyway Getting, he went, took a little drive down the highway, went, turned around. He's getting back on the on-ramp. Apparently gets on a little bit, loses control, spins out backwards into a culvert, totals the Hennessy GT1000. Totals the engine. Totals all of it. Yeah, all of it. And now who do you have for insurance at the time? Because you can't just... Here's the fucked up part. Oh, I did not God, have the yeah. car fully insured. My wife had put like transportation insurance on it for 150 grand. Oh, my God. His garage keeper's insurance wouldn't cover the car because they only cover within five miles of the dealership. Well, and because he took it home, 20 miles, his brother's shop at home. So he had taken it to his home shop, not within five miles of the dealership. So they're like, well, we're not paying where it's not covered. They have an umbrella. There's gotta be. A- and, and dude, so we like get into this kind of like, well, what the fuck? I'm like, you know, insurance is like, well, we'll give you, you know, you can just take the 150 grand. I'm like, dude, no. Yeah. You're this yeah. is a $500,000 car, man. I it's- can't, I can't take. The hundred fifty thousand dollars in insurance. I think Roger, stock those Roger, cars are five hundred. Dude, Roger leans over to me and goes, "So, here's the deal, dude. Landon was allocated a one of one twenty twenty four GT, and I ended up buying it. And it's sitting in my garage at home underneath a blanket. I fucking hate you right now." He's like, "I'll give you the full trade in value of the wrecked car if you want to buy that twenty twenty GT." And honestly, I'm like, wow. it's "The only way I'm going to save my equity." And so I go look at the car, dude. It's never been driven. It's got 14 miles on it. And the reason You're it's talking a new. Yeah. The, the 2020 dude, that's, you know, 660 horsepower dude's full, full carbon series car. So weighs 3000 pounds. Absolute Holy piece, shit. dude. Beautiful, beautiful piece of, of art. I mean, but like, I can't even get excited about it because like this is too expensive of a car for me to want to drive it 
And I, and I don't have that. Like if right. I buy a car, dude, it's like, I want to drive it. <laughs> you know? yeah, right, I right. want to take that thing and mat it and see what it can do. So were conversations uncomfortable? Did you have lawyers involved? What happened? No, honestly, man, you know, luckily he just made it right. Yeah. Luckily Roger's a great guy. And you know, and, and him and I both, like I, I said to him, I'm like, dude, this is so, and dude, my wife was distraught. That was the hardest part. You know, my yeah, wife you gotta tell went her through this to. whole sentimental and, you know, I had to have this conversation with her of like, honey, you have to understand that like what you did for me, I it's will never thought. forget. It's the thought. It's never goes away, whether that yeah. car's sitting in our garage or not. Right. It's never going to go away. Never going to wait. You'll never lose that feeling. Yeah. So, you know, we do the deal. You know, you've got a two-year lien from Ford. So that was a 2020. So the lien was not up until September 3rd of 2022. So just Thank you, recently. John Cena. Yes. Thank you, John Cena. Mm-hmm. Um. So I literally told Roger, I don't want to touch it. I don't want to see it, leave it where it is, but I bought it. Right. Yeah, right. And so it sat there. So Payson and I brought it home and I drove it for the first time. What was that about three weeks, two weeks ago? Very safe car. Dude, insanely badass car. Yeah, but it's very safe I and mean, very powerful. Very safe. It's, it's totally different, right? You know, you yeah. got a twin turbo six cylinder. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a totally different type of thing. It's more of like an F1. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of F one type type. You know, you got the the lights in the steering wheel that you know show kind of your rev situation, your RPM. It's it's a sweet. sweet so you rev. went from a violent Ford GT to a track proven yes race car, correct? With all the safety features. Yes, and so I drove it once from mm-hmm. Roger's house to my house, and uh, we just put on trucks. So I get a trying to figure out what I'm going to do with this car. I decide, you know what? I think I'm going to I'm going to roll it through Barrett Jackson. And, uh, you know, John Huber and some of our buddies, yeah. you know, John uh, Huber's got a lot of John Huber builds um, so that people know he's a master craftsman. He builds, he takes Jeep Wranglers, the yep. four doors, the unlimited version of my Sanary unlimiteds. Yeah. And he puts wildcat engines or not Hellcat, Hellcat engines yep. in them. And I, I've had the pleasure through Utah. I, he was pacing off of my uh, Z28. Yeah. Where, where I'm staying in front of him, I'm pulling away. He's yeah. catching up, you know, because you don't That's know what the, the demon gladiator yeah, yeah, the demon gladiator. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thank you. I have that now. I own You that. bought that? Yeah. You bought that? From- at home. Yeah. So he put one on Bear Jackson. Yeah. Did you buy it through Bear Jackson? No. You bought that, you no. bought that one from him. Yep. So he put one on Bear Jackson. The white one. You remember the white one that was on West? The white one. With and the, with the demon. Yeah. On the side. Yeah. That's the one I have in my garage. That's one you have. So the second one he, he, second one he built. Yeah. So he put it on Bear Jackson. We got to watch it. We all watched it live. Cause he's like, Hey guys, watch it. It's going to go on there and fucking sure shit. He got exactly what he thought he'd get for it. Yeah. Too. I was like, damn dude, you're pretty good at this. Yeah. Yeah. And he built some old Broncos. Yeah. JFB off-road. I think JFB stands JFB for off-road, John's yeah. fucking Broncos. I think yep. that's what it stands for. But, but good, good guy to great guy. If you want to get something built, good guy to do it. Absolutely, dude. You I have, pay for what you get for I've it. I've got two of those Jeeps from John. I have one at my house in Arizona that's just got the 392 Hemi in it. Which is a solid engine. Dude, I love them. They're built so well. One-ton axles. I yep. mean, it's not just like the motor swap, right? right. John no, builds not. good shit. You know, it's it's Dana 60 axles. It's the whole, you know, full lockers. Like, Yeah, you don't the need the supercharger in little Jeeps. I yeah. mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, they're still very small vehicles. You know? Yeah. And you're not going to use these for rock crawling. These are basically having fun they're with fun as shit dude yep. and you can sit there at a stoplight next to a dude in an actual hellcat and just smoke four inch tires and shit just launch know? it yeah they're great so anyway anyway so you know i was talking to him and i'm like you know man i, I think i'm gonna run this gt through barrett jackson he's like well dude i gotta contact you my sales guy let me put you in touch with them 
Um, so I get in touch with his guy, Mike, and, and Mike and I are talking. He's like, dude, tell me about this GT. And I'm explaining it to him. You know, yeah, it's number 173. This is the build. This is what it is. And he's like, you have the sheet. You know, I'm like, yeah. So I send him the stuff. And he's like, dude, holy shit. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a rare car, right? Yeah. And and what makes it rare, dude, is so all those carbon series cars that they have a color stripe up the middle in between the carbon that goes up the hood. And then the outside mirrors match the color stripe that goes up the middle of the car. Well, this one had the, it's a white car, blue stripe with the carbon, but mm -hmm. instead of blue mirrors, it's got carbon fiber mirrors. Okay. So it's apparently the only blue stripe car with, with carbon fiber mirrors. So now help me out. The cheapest one I've seen sold was, it, it, was it one, three, for some reason it's in my head. There's a lot of them been selling for one, three, one, four. They just sold one carbon series for like one, five, four in the yeah. last spirit Jackson. So I'm talking to this guy, Mike, and he calls me back and he's like, Hey, uh, would you want to ship this thing to Houston for a preview at the Houston Barrett Jackson auction? I'm like, well, what, what explain that to me? And he's like, well, dude, we, you know, Steve Davis, the president of Barrett Jackson basically picks out eight cars that are going to Scottsdale and gets displayed and they get displayed at Houston. So if you'll ship it to Houston, we'll display it through the whole Barrett Jackson Houston auction, and then we'll pay to ship it from Houston to Scottsdale. Yeah. Um, I'm like, well, dude, it's cheaper for me to ship it to Houston from Iowa. Right. Uh, so drove the car, dude. When I put it on the trailer, it had 32 miles on it. Mm -hmm. 32. <laughs> 32. <laughs> yeah. I got a picture of it on the floor at, at, at Barrett Jackson in Houston, dude. Beautiful. Sitting next to a Carrera GT. Just sick. You Carrera know. GTs aren't cheap either. Yeah. That's a million and a half dollar <laughs> yeah. car. Easy. You know? So, so yeah, dude, I'm going to roll that thing through. Um, and I think I, I've got an RS6 Avant mm -hmm. um, that I actually got one of the six abtr six r kits that were allocated to north america and that's more your style yeah i love the wagon but same thing dude the car is super rare i feel like it's just time for me to let that thing go and you know i've had more fun with like the jeeps you know mm -hmm. i've had you know this thing i love the panamera i love and the panamera has got like thirty thousand miles on it so i don't feel bad about beating that thing up a little right. bit you know it's it's made to drive and but you kind of hit the nail on the head, man. You know, the car thing, I think this is what's funny. You know, when I did the deal on the GT, there's so many people like, dude, how could you do that deal? You know, it's crazy. Oh, it's a depreciating asset. Dude, no, it's not. No. This thing is a fucking diamond in the rough. A dude. lot and of cars are not get one. <laughs> a lot of cars are depreciating assets. It's the rare ones that will go up in value. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. There's always somebody, man, that wants to get their hands on one of those and you can't get them. You can't. So, yeah, so that's, uh, that's what I'm kind of excited about, man. We're, uh, rolling that thing through in Scottsdale on January 27th. Well, it'll be the 30th, the last day of the Scottsdale auction. Mm -hmm. It'll be like prime time. So what's your, what's your plan now for the next, let's just say five years. Yeah. So right now, man, you know, I'm working at, I had invested money in a company called Holt kinetic solutions. Um, so we literally manufacture custom ARs like from blocks of raw material. Right. Um, and you know, the whole idea is to kind of build the lightest and most accurate AR platform guns that are on the market, which I'm, I'm pretty sure that we've done that. Um, you know, we're using super high end barrels, you know, proof research barrels. We're doing a lot of stuff with carbon fiber barrels. Um, you know, anodized titanium parts, mm -hmm. I mean, takedown pins, you know, gas blocks, linear compensators that are all anodized titanium stuff. I mean, they're, dude, they're dope. So instead of working, instead of building companies, now you're building hobbies. You know, I'm definitely, I would say trying to do more of the things I'm passionate about and things that I, I gave up or spent a lot less time doing, right. uh, because I was so focused on, you know, cell site solutions for so long. Um, but 
you know, so I'm doing a lot of that. I'm spending tons of time on the farm, lots of hunting. My cousin's been hunting and filming hunts for Jury Outdoors for like 20 plus years. Um, so we filmed Payson's Hunt. That was already aired on a on a episode of Deer Season 22 for Jury Outdoors. Mm-hmm. You know, man, just spend a lot of time doing that, farm management stuff, um, just stuff that I love to do that I just haven't been able to do. But obviously then trying to now take what I know from a business perspective and figure out, okay, how do I – how do I make money off of these things that I just love to do? Um, and, and it's happening, you know, kind of getting there, readjusting some of the farm stuff, obviously the gun business is kind of starting to take off and that's, that's been awesome. And you know, this is, it's interesting because you're a gun guy. Um, and, and I found that I wasn't sure about this man, because we're selling ARs for 2,800 bucks to five grand. Like these are not cheap guns. Right. And you can go buy a fucking $500 AR at Walmart. Right. You can. Yeah. And, there's all these people like, dude, you're never going to sell these guns for this much. So trying to get somebody to understand, like, dude, when one guy designs your gun and maybe one set of hands is on that gun all the way from inception to the time that it's put together and fired and how it feels and how it shoots compared to that $500 AR. Like, yeah. It's like comparing a fucking Lamborghini to a Toyota Corolla. Yeah. You don't you don't you don't understand until you're actually it's, doing it. It's in it's your insane, hands and you're man. shooting it. But that, that's like everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, so, it's so everything. One of the first things we did, dude, is like, you know, we took, uh, t- you know, built some six millimeter arc AR platform guns, right? You were taking these things out, shooting them at a thousand yards mm-hmm. consistently. They're accurate at a thousand yards. Six fucking AR. So, you know, anything from 300 blackout pistols to six millimeter arc, like long range stuff, you know, we're doing all that. And dude, it's been so fun. And what I figured out is that there's a lot of people out there that are well off individuals that I would say, I wouldn't call them gun people, but they're like, okay, I got one, you know, oh, I got a handgun and I've got a shotgun for home defense. You know what I mean? They've got a couple of really basic items. And I'm like, well, how come you've never gotten into like, you know, ARs or something just, just cooler, more fun to shoot. And almost every person I've talked to, Paul, is like, dude, I'm intimidated. I walk into a gun shop. People are assholes. You know, make me feel like I don't know what I'm talking about. Egos again. Yep. Yeah. And, and dude, I've had so much fun with these people, like, listening to them. What are you going to use it for? What do you want to do with it? And then building them this gun from scratch of what they want. Like, I just did a gun the other day. It's got the guy's family crest on it. Mm-hmm. Cool as shit, dude. It's I, a meaningful piece, right? What I would love to see is, is when people get an AR, they get a... a, a a metal gong with it there's for me there's nothing more fun than shoot i love target shooting yeah dude, i planking is great i did hunting once and and sutton can jump on camera with this i've shot a deer once and I, it was not for me i and <laughs> yeah sutton, my and that's kid, okay man it's and not sutton, you, you can't take this away from me i dropped it first shot pulled the trigger once dropped it dropped right there and what i do i had to call my sisters true story got on my phone hey stacy here's the deer it's over here come gut it because me i ain't doing it really I, I, fuck i can't do it i that surprised me a i'm bit. such a, if something tries to harm me i will tear it apart in pieces <laughs> seriously i would without any problem but if if that deer i was just like fuck that thing did nothing to me yeah I and you get emotional and it's like i can't I can't do that i can't do yeah. that but if it was a dog fighting my daughter or anyone yeah i'd put my fist right through its throat and yeah. it's zero issue wouldn't even think of it but if it, i just it's just i'm just fucked in the head like that no that's not a bad thing man, but it. the great thing is you still love to go out and shoot i love shooting and just love to go out and enjoy and, and, and to me we talked about this a little bit before too 
it's a lot to me it's similar to the car situation right it's like the engineering and design that goes into some of these weapons and some of this stuff to me it's just really fucking cool it's It's like some guy put that on paper and somehow made it real and it works and how many times did that person <laughs> fail yeah. before it worked? Oh, I you mean, know, there's a million revisions to all of those yeah. those pieces. But yeah, dude, I've, I've just enjoyed, you know, I've enjoyed getting back into kind of a, a grassroots sales type of situation where I get to deal with the customers direct. Yeah. I get to build relationships. You know, I get to listen to what it is that people are trying to accomplish when they want to build this one what I call kind of mantle piece, you know, Mm -hmm. some of these people have lots of guns and they just want that one piece, you know, that's different than everything else. That's really specifically something that they want. Um, and we're doing everything in house all the way through Cerakote. So like, you know, custom finishes, I've done finishes on guns that are, that match people's cars. Mm -hmm. Um, I've done, you know, John, actually I did a gun for John that has this company logo on it. Nice. Um, you know, that he's got hung up. I mean, it's cool, right? There's just, but now you're doing things that you never would have done. Oh, absolutely. And now you're investing in the companies you're, you're investing in the people like someone invested in you at one time. Absolutely, man. Another thing, when you said that people had opinions about your guns are too much, you're not going to make it. I swear nothing kills a dream faster than someone's opinion. Yeah. And you need to just not listen. I mean, you got to have your inner circle. Your circle is going to tell you the truth, but just don't be discouraged when someone doesn't agree with you. I still remember this day, and I'm going to throw uh, one of my longest time employees underneath the bus. Her name's Breeze Antelli. We're standing inside of Agave. It's getting all torn apart. I'm standing on the mezzanine. Carpet's torn apart. And I still remember her looking just like, like uh, sad. And she's just a kid at this time. I go, what's wrong? And she goes, I don't see this happening. And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, I don't, I don't, I don't see this happening. And it, it broke my heart. It's still wow. this day. It's like. Does she not believe in me? You know, you start second guessing. And sure. it's like, it's not that she didn't believe in me. She just, there was so much chaos and everything was torn apart. She couldn't see the picture. I could see the picture, mm-hmm. but she couldn't. And it, it, it's moments like that that you'll never forget. And it was innocent. She was not saying it mean. She was not being mean at all. But you almost work harder for that. You almost work Absolutely. harder to help build off that to make sure you don't fail because you don't want to let that kid down. Yeah. I mean, she's working me since she was like 14 years old. Yeah. And now she's, she's got a career, college education. I, I can't get rid of her. She still works for us. And it's like, you know, and it's part-time because she has a full-time job. Right. And I, I, I love her. Yeah. She's like a kid. I never want to see her go away, but it's like, Bree, come on. When are you going to go away? The, the place is going to be just fine without yeah. you. But <laughs> I was going to say, she's still working out for you, She still yeah. works weekends and stuff. But it, it's, you got to, you never let go of those things and they help drive you. Yeah. And now you have to be the teacher for these companies that you're starting out. Yeah. Because this gun company, I have a feeling, is only one of the first of many small companies that you're going to start. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so, man. We, you know. Because you're on Shark Tank kind of level now. Well, dude, the funny thing is for me, you know, I built... Uh, you know, I built a, a healthy, you know, I built a $20 million industrial real estate portfolio during the time that I was building cell site that nobody was really paying attention to. And that's, you know, still, so I've been, I'm still doing those deals and, and, you know, selling some properties and, and doing some of that stuff. And, you know, you know, as well as I do, I think that, you know, real estate is such a great vertical. If your business needs some sort of storefront or some sort of operational facility, 
that's such a great vertical to be able to get into and invest your money into yourself versus yeah. going and renting a space or taking a space from, you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's, it's 100%. literally just paying yourself versus paying somebody else. And we went through some of those deals almost by accident. It's like we bought one facility because we thought we needed it. And then all of a sudden we didn't need it. And then all of a sudden a gas station comes and knocks on my door. Like, Hey, we want to buy this facility, like pay, you know, twice what we paid for it right. a year and a half before. And we're like, okay, you know, so you do that deal, you go buy some more. Right. And those, you know, like you said, man, I think you, you, you hit on such a great point of, you know, dude, if I had a nickel for every person that told me I wasn't going to make it or every person that told me, dude, I don't see it. You know, I told you the 20 banks that laughed me out, like, yeah, we don't get it, dude. We don't see it. Yeah. If I would have listened to any of those people, Paul, any of them, all the way from teachers in school to present day, I would not be sitting where I right. am and I wouldn't be in this situation I'm in. I heard that and I was like, watch this. Right. Never, <laughs> never, you know, never, it was great motivation. You hit it, right? Yeah. Never let someone tell you you're going to fail. Your checkbook will tell you. Okay. Yeah. Your check numbers don't lie. Yes. People do. Your checkbook will tell you how you're doing. Yeah. People won't tell you how you're doing. I think the other part, man, that's such a blot for people that I've noticed. And I'm going to tell, I guess, let me start with this story. Okay. So my dad and I, my dad's been a huge part of my life, right? Like it was a huge mentor, great for pacing. Like my dad is a very hardworking, positive, let's fucking go kind of guy. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but we were always buddies, you know, he took me out fishing, hunting, you know, took me to work with him, taught me how to do stuff, but we never really like, you know, we didn't have like serious conversations, like father, son type right. conversations. And shortly after he retired and I started my business, I was out fishing with him one day and I looked at my dad and I said, I got a serious question for you. If you could go back now that you're completely done and do anything differently, what would you do? And dude, he sat there and sat there for, I mean, minutes, right? And he looked at me and he said, I would have taken more risks. Yeah. And I was like, why do you say that now? And he's like, you know, Carter, I didn't feel like I could take those risks because I had kids and I did that. But he said, now that I look back, I know I could have made it work. Right. And, you know, the fear of financial failure, I think is what stops so many people from taking that step and jumping into that entrepreneurship, you know, that's that. And you know what, Paul, I'm grateful that some of the happiest times in my life, dude, I was fucking broke. Yeah. And I was never scared to lose the money, dude. I Get was like, if I lose it all, dude, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to be happy. Right. We have this society that it attaches, you know, these material things that we're fortunate. Look, dude, the money situation makes life easy. You know, it's made a lot of things in my life easy, but does it make me happy? No, no dude, this makes me happy. Yeah. Right. Seeing a kid get in your car for the first time and smile from ear to ear, dude, that fucking makes me happy. Right? Not, it, there's nothing better. There's than nothing a kid better. Crawling around the inside I still remember car. the first person that let me get in their car. Mm -hmm. And that was motivation for me. Like, I'm going to fucking have one of these someday. Yeah. And dude, that's what I, that's what this rally situation is about. That's what's, you know, going not, aside from raising a ton of money for charity and doing the things, physically seeing some of those kids' eyes just get, like saucers, you know, and, and then getting them in the car and start the car. And like, you know, it's dude, it's, there's nothing else like it. And I hope that if you have one positive effect, that kid that carries that and turns it into something positive, dude, that's what this is about. Right. right. And I know that as long as I am, you know, I figured out really early on when I was chasing money and chasing money and chasing money, dude, my life was really difficult, you know, lots of stress. I was losing sleep. I was, I was, 
you know, tons of anxiety, you know, just all over the place. Right. And then all of a sudden somebody pulled me aside at one point and they said, dude, the reason this is so hard is because you're focused on the wrong thing. I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, dude, you got to be thinking about those people. And dude, as soon as that fucking hit me like a ton of bricks, bro, a ton of bricks. And like the first time that I had, you know, an employee's wife come up to me at a Christmas party in tears and be like, we bought our first house. Fuck yeah, yeah, dude. Fuck yeah. That's why we do what we do. That's why you spend the sleepless nights and the, the chaos under the water that nobody sees. And the phone calls to my wife saying, honey, I'm sorry, but I think we're fucked. That's why we go through that dude and get up the next day and put our boots back on and go back to work. I've had companies where I, I didn't get paycheck for years, mm-hmm. but everyone else got paid. That's right. And you know what? They can get a house. They can get a vehicle. They can go on vacation. Whenever I see someone that works with me and that's on vacation, put a smile on my face. When they're like, we just bought this house, put a smile on my face. When they're able to get a new vehicle, fuck yeah, do it. Yes. When I started to see the business as a catalyst, that's when it changed. Yeah. That's when it changed, man. When like, you start investing in your people. Yeah. And just being more focused on and, and listening to those people, right? What is, what's important to them? You know, what are they trying to accomplish? Because everybody's different, man. And some people's, you know, some people's pie in the sky dream isn't an R8 or isn't a, a house or, it's it, not, you know, it's experiences or it's vacations or it's, you know, it's different for everyone, right? To be able to hear some of that and say, okay, what's step one? How are we going to get there? Right. Let's build a roadmap and then seeing people be able to check those boxes and make, you know, accomplish some of those things that they've, they've thought about or dreamt about and just have never taken those steps. I think the thing that happens, the light switch flips for them too. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, Holy shit, I can do this. Fuck. Yes, you can, (laughs) you can. I want people to understand like, yes, you can. And it doesn't, it's not easy, man. No, it's doesn't, it's not going to come without trials and tribulations and tears and, and anger and, and laughter. I mean, it's everything, dude. I felt like I went lived on this spectrum from here to here, but you know, now seeing the end results and, and you know, and that's the hardest part now, right. Is because these other people take over my business and dude, this is hard. This is part of me, you know, and they mistreat it. They do it. It's totally different, dude. It's not yours anymore. And it's sucks. not. And I, and I have no. No, you can't, you can't even have an opinion. Dude, these guys don't be nowhere near that situation, right? No. And and there's this little thing that kind of comes around of like, you know, God, I hope that nobody thinks I bailed on my people. Because I think some people look at this like, oh, Carter got this opportunity and he jumped on it. And then it was just like, that was like, dude, there's not a day that goes by that I don't struggle with the decision that I made, but every single time I ask myself, like, dude, based on him, based on my daughter, based yeah. on my wife, would I do it again? Yeah, you made the right decision. Every time, dude. Mm-hmm. Every time. I would have been a fool not to do it. And But these people, some of your key employees that you had at one time, you'd be there. If they said, hey, I'm looking to get in this business. And you know what? This business plan looks good. Let's start it. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. I... I you know, man, you see I'm all tatted up with, you know, America stuff and people go, Oh, what's up, man? Were you in the military? Like, no, dude, I wasn't in the military. You know what? I'm grateful. The American dream. I, I'm it. I did it, dude. I lived it. You you went from drugs, alcohol. Well, drugs was I was unemployable, one. dude. I was unemployable. I was an unemployable. I, dude, I couldn't no one pay my wanted rent. You. No I one couldn't pay my rent in a low income housing apartment, Paul. No one believed in you. That was my life. And you know what? All I had to do was choose and commit. Yeah. 
and be it's disciplined. That easy. It's awful, dude. Changing that part of my life was the hardest thing I've ever done because I didn't know anything different, mm-hmm. you know? And then it's just, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, gosh, like what, what could I have accomplished had I not taken those four or five, six years of my life and completely made terrible decisions. But you know what? Then I look back and I'm like, man, I'm so grateful that I had those experiences because of that situation of like, dude, I'm not scared to be poor anymore. No, I've been there, dude. You're not afraid to fail. I'm not afraid to fail. I failed so many times in my life. And you know what, dude, just get up and dust yourself off and keep going. And people, I think people that have not gotten into the game of of business for themselves, they're so afraid of failing that they don't realize who cares. You failed. No one cares if you fail. You might see an opinion on some bullshit word of mouth site. Oh, yeah. Big fucking deal. Yeah. Dude, the people that are sitting around just waiting for you to fail love to have that opportunity to see you fall off your pedestal. But you know what, dude? Those are the fuckers that are never going to do anything themselves. Right. Who cares about that opinion, bro? Who cares? No one should care. Nope. I don't care. No. (laughs) No. I don't care. And failing. And I'm glad. Failure is a teacher. Oh, my God. Failure is a very good teacher. Yeah. And when you fail, okay, you you already know what you did wrong. Get up and redo it. Let's go. Let's go. Get started. I remember my dad looking at me one time and saying, Carter, if you're not making any mistakes, you're probably not doing enough. Yeah. So I, you know, when I first started snowboarding back in the day, I was told that if you're not, <laughs> if you're not falling, you're not trying. That's right. Yeah. It is kind of part of it, right? It's, it's this. And, and I think part of that man is the societal, you know, view that we've given people that, you know, Oh, it's this, everything's so pretty, right? Yeah. It's like, we put these pretty posts on social media. I do it. Right. It's like, yeah, you want to share the positive things and the good stuff and, and you paint this beautiful picture and so many people have this unrealistic view of this journey of life that, oh, it should be all roses and I should have this perfect marriage and this perfect family. Dude, you know, marriage is not per- My marriage isn't perfect. It's hard. Right. You know, being married to a female human being fucking hard paul <laughs> they are different animals right they're smarter than us yes they think long term and we're thinking of like we don't even know what we're having for dinner yeah i don't even remember what and, i did like five minutes ago yeah, my wife remembers shit that yeah. we talked about 10 years ago i'm like how Fuck. do you remember that like that's not that's not normal i don't think yeah. but but at the same time man you know getting through and understanding that if i can same thing you know if i can try to understand more about being a good husband or being a good father about being a good employer being a good business partner and not just about the financial piece but about you know the relationship portion of that right and what does that mean dude money comes that is that's the life right Mm -hmm. but that does not that is not some pretty picture dude with roses and and beautiful things that you know dude it's ups and downs and it's it's emotional chaos sometimes for me right but I feel like nothing in this life is worth having if it's easy. No, it's got to be work, man. To to all of a sudden you look at it and go, "Fuck yeah!" Man. Some people like that. Just that we're not rocking the boat. I'm going to work nine to five. You know, the highs and lows are like this. They're not. It sounds they, boring. The highs and lows are like this. <laughs> when you're an entrepreneur, your highs and lows are like this. It's, yeah. it's much different. And we're not talking about mental stability. It's just like good mood, bad mood. Good mood, bad mood. Yeah. Um, and again, I mean, what fixes all problems? Sales. Yeah. It, it's just, it, it does. F- it fixes everything. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No well, doubt. you drove all the way up here. You got how many hours drive do you got? Four hours. Four hour drive. We'll make it in like three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. I'm just kidding. I never speed. 
No, driver spiritedly. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you uh, allowing me to do this, man. I'm I'm thankful to have gotten to know you, and you know, for the hold pizza. on, before we get into that part, okay. You have a racetrack. Yeah. Why the fuck haven't we touched that yet? I don't know. I've driven on it. Yeah, you have. I fucking beat the shit out of my car in your track. I yeah. love your track. Yeah, it's a fun. It's fun, dude, to get out on an oval track. That's kind of an old school thing that people have uh, kind of lost. It's kind of a loss. Kind of lost. Yeah. Yeah. So we have Hawkeye Downs Racetrack. Uh, it's been in Cedar Rapids. Was started in 1925. Right. A lot of history. And yeah, it was a dirt track until the 80s, and then uh, they turned into asphalt. And then I acquired it through again, kind of a random situation. Was looking for a space from for some of our our equipment for some lay down yard space and uh i go meet with a couple guys do that facility that area is 93 acres out there and they were trying to sell me you know 10 or 15 acres and we go around they show me the whole i didn't realize how big it was it was an old fairground yep and uh we got done with the little tour and they're like so what do you think man you're interested in like 10 15 acres i'm like i'm kind of interested in buying the whole thing and like when those guys got done laughing they were like wait a minute are you serious yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm fucking serious man i kind of want to buy the whole thing so uh we ended up acquiring hawkeye downs and uh so i'm just the land you know i'm just the landlord essentially so there's a there's a the hawkeye downs nonprofit organization that runs the actual racetrack um still do you know late mod races you know hornets legends you know all that fun stuff um on friday nights in the summertime and then they do some enduro car races which is fun as shit dude if you ever want to do something fun go to hawkeye downs and do an enduro race it's like right. you know you go buy your your five hundred thousand dollar honda civic si mm -hmm. you do first person to do 200 laps wins i can <laughs> it's fucking like a, do something like dude, that dude it's adult bumper cars bro you know and you're and you're doing it on the quarter mile track right so like fastest you get going in the, the straight it's because like, it's a it's an oval track not, not it's, like it's a half mile way. quarter mile yeah yep. the quarter mile goes on the inside yes yeah. and so it's small so like at the, at the fastest you're going like 45 right so dude first time i do this i'm so excited right by the racetrack i'm like i'm gonna go do one of these enduros we'll go buy a honda civic get this thing all you know ready to go seats out you know doors chained shut yep. you got all these you know dude i'm flying around i get to like lap 11 some dude in front of me spins out in a station wagon wood paneled old giant station wagon and i just t-bone him wide open dude i forgot to unplug the airbags ouch boof thing goes off in my face the smell you know what i mean mm -hmm. just car I'm, I'm like the car's totaled it's gotta yeah. be totaled turn the key thing starts right back up you know off we go <laughs> i pull into the pits take a pocket knife got the airbags <laughs> The thing I Dude, noticed it was about, a blast. The thing I noticed about your track, an old track versus like Road America. Road America, your whole your whole your shoulders are all just short and sore and shot after running it because you don't do it all the time. Right. And your track, you, your one shoulder is really sore because and you grip the steering wheel so hard because you don't want to hit the wall. You don't want to no. be that guy because it's gonna happen. <laughs> one of the guys hits the wall or rubs the wall, and you don't want to be that guy. Right. But man, what a fun fucking hobby yeah i took uh you know before i had all these cars my the car before the car that's on my arm here was an rs7 that we did a you know tuned and and it was putting out like 745 horsepower and god we took that car out there and just had a blast with it yeah and you know we're doing it we're hitting 100 miles an hour in the streets and that thing and on a half mile track which is just nuts dude a production car right with a tune <laughs> i can't crazy. believe it took me this long to bring up hawkeye downs it, it's one it was always one of my favorite stops on crown Cedar yeah. Rapids, Iowa. The people are so fucking nice there. It's a great place, man. I have I have buddies still that that give me a really hard time. Like, why? How could you ever move back to Iowa? Like, why would you? You know, man, my house in Cedar Rapids. I mean, we're just outside of city limits, but 
you know, dude, my house is on a 17 and a half acre lot and I got a two and a half acre pond in my backyard. It's mm-hmm. been a beautiful place to raise my kids. You know, I've got my place in Arizona, so we bail out in the wintertime a couple times, you know, take the kids and, and go get away from the winter weather or whatever. But I love Iowa, man. I love the Midwest. You know, I love yep. Wisconsin, uh, you know, Missouri. I mean, there's some states I don't want to go in quite as much, but like overall, you know, I love the idea that like I can leave my house unlocked and my neighbors will shoot somebody before I have to worry about somebody getting in there. Correct. <laughs> yep. It's a good, I don't know, man, people look after each other. And, and we saw it with you guys came, did you come right after the storm? I did. I was there. Yep. You saw it, man. Catastrophic. Yep. Right. I mean, that was it a was catastrophic like day, was, event. A couple of days, wasn't it? Only a few yeah. days. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and you were busting your ass to get power at the track. Yeah. Yeah. We had 268 cell sites out of service around cedar rapids when that storm went through fuck so yeah i mean it was it was wild but yeah dude you know hawkeye downs i hope to god that they get to that hundredth year you know they're creeping up on it here we're getting you know three years away from their hundred hundred year anniversary so Mm -hmm. i'm uh, i hope those guys can keep that going and and you know this is another it's a good thing to bring up because i think we as car people it's important to support other car people in whatever it is that they do you know, whether it's like, you know, for me, the, the NASCAR thing, the, the oval track stuff that was different. That was new for me. Right. But like, dude, what a cool thing to be able to have people come in, teach me, you know, tuck me under their wing, you know, show me some of the history. We've got great people like, you know, Joey Gase and Landon Castle that have come from Cedar Rapids. I mean, you know, I think five IndyCar winners, man, have raced at Hawkeye Downs. There's a, there's a tremendous amount of history there. And that's a, that's a big deal. And that's a dying sport. Right. So some of these people that, you know, we, as I consider myself a road rally kind of guy, you know, a, a cannonballer a, dude. The, yeah. And, and the road America thing, an awesome dude was road, road America is if you're a car person and you have not gone to road America to either watch a race or drive on the track, just do it, do it, do it. It doesn't and, and, matter what it is. Go do it. And it's again, humble so cool. yourself, take the lesson, let the old guys lead you around because they can outdrive you. Yeah. They'll outdrive you. Yes. And it's humbling because as Ryan Wheeler said, you're not going as fast as you think you are. Yeah. I got black flagged on fucking road America. (laughs) (laughs) It was so fun, but you know, that was to me also what a cool thing to be able to actually take that car. Like I had this car and dude, same thing, you know, the engineering, my mind was blown dude at how that car performed on this track as a car. I mean, dude, I bought that car for 150 grand. And now you can sell it for and, and I put a little money right into now. it. <laughs> I, put, I put a little money into it. You know, yeah. it's got some mods and stuff. But like, holy smokes, man! You know, I, we we talked about your your Formula Three Fifty up there, like the technology and how it's changed, and the ability to go buy. I mean, dude, you can go spend sixty grand on a car right now that does shit that it'll blow your mind, dude. My daughter has a, a little trailblazer. It's, mm-hmm. it's the, the new one, but it's college car, right? Yep. 20 some thousand, whatever it was. And, and the wife has a Tahoe. All it is. And then Tahoe is, you know, look, they're not cheap. Yeah. You know, she yeah. has a, you know, six, two engine in it and everything. It's just a mini version of it. These little, these little cars that are built today outperform that car sitting up there on the lift. I'm telling you. It's unreal. She has it? a 1.6 liter turbo. I think it is. Yeah. I guarantee to beat it in a quarter mile. And that's a V8 engine. 
Yeah, They're, I 80s were just I, brutal. On I, cars. I remember, dude, when like if you had 250 horsepower, in you were car, making it. You were, you were killing it. <laughs> yeah, you, you were, were killing it. You yeah, were crushing it. And now it's like, man, if you're not pushing, you know, six, seven hundred horsepower in a car, it's like you can't keep up with anybody. Right. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, no, but you know, going back, I was just gonna say, man, for for anybody that's you know that listens to this that doesn't know you or know some of the things that you've been involved in. I just want to say again, man, that I'm thankful that I've gotten to know you. I'm thankful for the opportunity to do this. You do a ton of stuff for the community up here, man. When I run into people and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm from, you know, the here in Wisconsin. I'm like, oh, I know this guy, you know, Paul Rohde. And they're like, I know Paul, you know, yeah. and, and they're like, oh, he does this cool thing, you know, 9-11. I mean, there are yep. these things that you do, man, that you may or may not understand just that feeling of community that that brings and, and pulling people together. And I think with all the stuff that we've gone through, man, that's so important, right. Yeah. To remind each other that dude, we're all human. We're all in this deal together, you know, stop with the, stop with the bullshit, dude. You know, let's, let's try to lift people up and do something positive instead of tear people down. And it's so easy to tear people down, build, man. You want to impress me, build someone's life up. That's right. Take them from a pile of shit and turn them into something did you go through that in your life though like did you go through that period in your life where you were like i someone's got to fail for me to succeed i i look at myself in my 20s i didn't know what the fuck i was gonna do yeah. i mean i was i if, looking back it's like god damn i was a fucking loser you know, not that i was into <laughs> drugs or alcohol it wasn't right. anything bad it was just fucking aimless pointless pointless life but my grandmother um phenomenal woman yeah and when she passed, it was like every day I had to do something to impress her. Yeah. You know, just because she's watching. Yeah. And if I'm not building or bettering, I, why would God keep me around? Yeah. So I, I try to have purpose in everything I do. And I try to help build not only in her name, but, you know, his name too. Because yeah. people don't realize we're on lease. We're here yeah. very temporary. Right. Everything's temporary. So if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing here, you don't have a purpose here. And it's just, you're going to be gone. Yeah. You know, you're just going to die of this, die of that. And I'm not saying it's guaranteed, you know, uh, to live a long life, but people don't realize that growing old is a privilege. Yeah. And have your shit in order. Yeah. Because someday when you think you have time, you don't. That's right. And it's the biggest, one of the biggest lies that we tell each other. We think we have time. Yeah. You know, I could do it later. No, just do it now. Get it done with, get it, get it figured out. And I think I try to do good because, uh, I do it in her name, my grandmother's name, yeah. you know, Margaret Rohde, five-star woman. Yeah. Always there for me. That's awesome, man. That's and awesome. When I didn't have anything going on or anything in the right direction, she was there going, you know, it's okay. You know, dust yourself off, get going on this, get going on that. And she was also a woman that she never believed in a day off. You know, she, you yeah. know, this is a woman that grew up in the great depression, a farm, very hard life. Yep. And if you had a day off, the fuck are you doing? Why, what, what do you mean you have the day off? Yeah. You know, it was every single day. It's, you know, you'd call her, I'd call her. It was fucking, I lived with her for a while too. Yeah. And it would be like, what are you doing? Well, how, how come you're calling me? Are you off today? I'm like, yeah. yeah. You almost get shamed over it. <laughs> I'll get to work. So then when I, when I started bartending for other people, it was real easy because it was, you know, back then, you know, there wasn't the labor laws that there are now. You'd work six, seven days a week. Yeah. You know, no one cared. No right. one. 
the thing people don't realize no one cares yeah you know it's it's your life you have to do it you have to get it going yep and it was it was good because i had employers that allowed me to do it and then i also had my grandmother was like what are you off for get to work All yeah right, you're right yeah shit dude how long we've been at it here i don't know two hours two hours seven minutes has it really two hours seven minutes dude right that there. flew by yeah. holy shit that's bad huh it's not bad. Can Why something is it like bad? cut that shit down? Like no, we don't cut. Something? We don't cut anything down. Hey, let me say one more thing. Yeah, Margaret's proud of you, dude. Yeah, she is. Thank you. That's big. Yeah, thank That's you. Big time stuff, man. And uh, keep going. I'm going to. I have no reason to stop. No, None. I, I, I love it. And uh, it same goes for you. Now that you have, let's just say, as Joe Rogan would say, "Fuck you, money." You, you can't. <laughs> you gotta. You gotta reinvent yourself now. Yeah. And it, it's hard. You're going to go through the same pains yeah. that you did before, but you you can't stop because your kid's watching. Yeah. You know, your wife's watching. People yeah. who want you to succeed are watching. People yeah. who doubted you then are watching. Yeah. And, and that's what's cool. You got to give them a show. Yeah. Show and my, my grandmother, is, it's similar, dude. It's a really big part of my life. Marilyn. Not yeah, Marilyn. Marilyn. Yeah. yeah. Marilyn Peterson was her name. But same thing, dude. I think about her all the time you know and uh and that's one thing too that i'm i'm really grateful for is because we ha do have such a short time man and i lived a long part of my life where i knew it was a pretty shameful time and two things i'll say about that my late teens early 20s there was that time dude where i was like i just i don't there's no purpose for me here aimless right? dude yeah think about what i would have missed had i not lived to go through the stuff i've been through Right. I, I, I can't even imagine now that that thought ever crossed my mind. And, you know, same thing, man. I, I if somebody would have told me this was going to be my life, I would be like, fuck off. Yeah. You wouldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, no chance, right. man. It's dude, it's so much more than I deserve. And I'm so grateful to you that there was people around me that grabbed me by the scruff of my neck and were like, dude, come on. Yeah. Let's go. This is there's work to be done. You can go, baby. It's time to go. And I hope that I can do that for somebody else at some point. You know, I think that's what it's about for me. God puts opportunities in front of you. You're the one that has to, you know, Amen. pick them up and see them. Amen. So, yep. We'll end the show on that. It's great stuff. Thank you. Yep. Appreciate we'll talk it, again. We'll have you up here again. Love to. Anytime. Right. See you in the next rally. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, buddy.